an escaped killer on the loose, a not-so-pleasant family reunion, trick-or-treat? All this can only mean one thing. We're comparing Halloween on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. See what I did there, Reggie? I like that. Spooky. I'm Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick. Welcome to another episode of Retro, Retro vs. Remake. Remake. Halloween edition. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> this is the series where we compare movies and their remakes. Join us as we answer the question, should this remake exist? Today's films are Halloween. Uh, that's the last time I'm going to do that, I promise. Okay. Halloween, the original, made in 1978, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Pleasance, PJ Souls, Nancy Loomis, and Nick Castle as Michael Myers, directed by John Carpenter. Screenplay by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Music by John Carpenter. <laughs> Halloween 2007, starring Malcolm McDowell, Sherry Moon Zombie, William Forsyth, Hannah Hall, Scout Taylor Compton, Danielle Harris, with Clint Howard, Danny Trejo, and Tyler Maine as Michael Myers. Directed by Rob Zombie. Screenplay by Rob Zombie. Music by Rob Zombie. No, just kidding. It's by Tyler Bates and John Carpenter. All right. Our first Halloween episode. Reggie, tell us what is your experience, or your first experience with either film. Yeah, if you're following our podcast, you may know that horror is not my favorite genre. Um, but I do recall, and this is kind of messed up now I'm thinking about it, I do recall watching... Uh, the original Halloween, as a youth, maybe like in that middle school sort of age range. It may have been edited for TV. I, you know, I don't remember, but I remember being at like a, you know, like one of those sleepover type deals. And of course, what mm -hmm. do kids do? They watch scary movies. And I remember the guy with the crazy mask running around trying to kill people. And then the remake, because I do not seek out these types of films, I have not seen a remake except for this podcast. Yeah, I had seen the original before, pretty much like you. Uh, when I was young in like eighth grade, seventh grade around there. And, uh, my buddy was just super obsessed with the Halloween series. So we'd slept over his house a lot and then we would always have to watch like Halloween movies. So I've seen all the Halloween movies up to H2O, which I believe came out 1998. We saw that in theaters. That's what it led up to. We had to watch all the Halloween movies up to that H2O. So I'm pretty familiar with the, uh, Michael Myers universe or someone pretty rusty <laughs> so don't ask me too many questions about it and when it comes to the remake I had never seen it and yeah this is the first time I will be seeing it I have seen Rob Zombie movies before House of uh, the Thousand Corpses uh, yeah, something like so. that yeah yeah so I was excited to see this because I'd seen his previous horror movies and I was like interested to see what he would do to inject some new life to the franchise absolutely and there is quite a bit different between these two films, Reggie. But before that, let's do a brief synopsis. This is going to be very brief. A lot of the names are the same, but they do kind of go in different directions. So here we go. When Michael Myers was a child, he murdered his sister Judith in cold blood. He was then sent to an institution, 
under the watch of Dr. Loomis. Years later, Michael escaped to return home. He now wears a William Shatner mask painted all white, which is appropriate since it is Halloween. Lori Strode is a happy-go-lucky high school girl who lives near Michael's old house. She hangs out with her friends, Annie and Linda. Lori notices Michael randomly watching her throughout the day. Halloween night arrives. Lori has to babysit local boy Tommy. Annie drops off Lindsay with them as well. Michael eventually attacks and kills Lori's friends. That was very brief. Lori and the two kids are Michael's next targets. Lori and Michael fight. Dr. Loomis shows up and ultimately Michael gets shot and dies. Or does he? The end. Okay, that's the last one. That's the last one. Okay, very brief synopsis. I had to really go glaze over the murders because they even do that a bit different in both films. But I think the place we have to start is the place that is the most obviously different between these two, and that is our intros. The time we spend with pre-Halloween Michael Myers, if you will. I guess we should start with the original because that's the shorter of the two. It, the original is the uh, shorter, it's a simpler version of it. We, we were actually talking about this briefly, you know, before the podcast. And I had mentioned, um, because of the way this intro was shot, I was talking to Dan, I was like, no, I don't really remember seeing the kid until, you know, later in the shot. Because I was like so keyed in on taking notes. And it's because <laughs> the movie is filmed <laughs> from, uh, at least this opening scene is filmed from the perspective of a young Michael Myers, our killer. So... You know, you see this sort of uh, kind of like establishing shot outside the home. You're getting these sort of POV shots, him looking up at the window, him looking through the window, teens making out, <laughs> one of them being his sister. He goes into the kitchen, he picks up a knife, and when he puts on the mask, which I thought was a really cool uh, touch, you see the eye holes of the mask, and you see him sort of uh, walking up the stairs, inflicting the horror that he's going to inflict. You're, you know, in the sort of the driver's seat with him, as he uh, does this horrific sort of stabbing of his uh, his sister and her boyfriend po- post coitus during coitus yeah I, th- I, th- I po- think post. I mean it was quick it was pretty quick yeah. <laughs> he was he was in and out like in a minute and you're like okay yeah I guess a recurring theme from uh, the seventies film it does not take people a long time to, <laughs> to have sex in this movie uh, so which helps with the runtime. <laughs> <laughs> But no, you you get this uh, you get this pretty interesting shots of this first kills, and then once it's all done, you know the parents come back, or uh, yeah, Michael Myers' mom I believe comes back, and you get this really cool again sort of shot where it's zooming out. You see Michael Myers in this clown outfit, just standing yeah. there bloody and like screams the horror Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> really really nice succinct intro. It doesn't tell you much about Michael Myers. That, that stuff, I think, comes a little bit later in the film. Sparsely, some may argue. But uh, what you do get is that it's 1963 in Haddonfield, Illinois. Michael Myers, who we later learn is about 10 years old, killed his sister, her boyfriend. He crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people are just crazy. No, it's a fantastic opening. I remember seeing it for the first time and just like the shock that it was this little kid. And not just like a little kid, but like a so- seemingly normal looking kid who was dressed up for Halloween too. Mm-hmm. So that was incredibly shocking. And then just re- on this rewatch, it was just really appreciating like that it is kind of a wonder that they're doing. There's just one long continuous shot. There's actually a couple cuts that cleverly put in there, but you know, it's seemingly just like one long cut and it only took them like 
couple days to do it. Really? So power to John Carpenter for really getting this amazing shot. I don't recall too many films back then that had these long shots like this back then. Not that I, not that I can recall. And uh, the other thing, too, and I know we usually save this for a little bit later, but I have to talk about the music right now because mm. the music is part of this shot. Like, it, it's yeah. an incredible score here. You get that Halloween uh, theme song, as you mentioned. Was that 5-4 signature? It's in 5-4 time, Reggie. Yeah, yes, yeah. I'm the music guy. I will be the one to say time <laughs> signature. Absolutely. And uh, just that, dun, 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 you know, that mm-hmm. creepy, yeah. creepy song. And it just it gives you this beautiful ambiance and backdrop to the horror that this series is, is known for. Yeah, I mean, we first hear that song during the opening credits before we see anything happen, and it's just the shot of a jack-o'-lantern, and then just the cast, and it could come across as super silly, <laughs> like, this is supposed to be a horror movie, I'm just looking at a jack-o'-lantern, it's not even scary looking, right. but that score is just so good, it just sucks you right in, It just and just going back... Oh. No, I was just saying, it just works, you know, like, even, yeah. like you mentioned... Uh, if you take out that song with that intro, it could, like you mentioned, be very bad. Yeah. And then, like I said, the opening shot of Michael Myers walking through the house, it's its not fast. It's its pretty slow. But the music does so much to build that suspense. And just like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. What, where, where are we going with this? It, it really, it's almost another character in the movie. I, I agree. It's so good, that music. I, I'm going to have to say that uh, that sort of question that you said, the suspense of, What's going to happen? This film does that very well. Um, throughout um, a lot of the scenes that we're going to talk about, uh, there was this big question mark for myself, which, like you mentioned, what's going to happen? And uh, you get it right here in that opening sequence. This is sort of the pace that we're going to get with this film. And as you mentioned, it's not even that it's that quick. Sometimes it can, like, if you stop and I guess you want to nitpick, you could say they meander a bit because, like, there's sort of, like, mini jump scares here and there in some of these scenes, but uh, this particular scene is very straightforward. You don't get any of that. It's just, okay, knife, hand, mask, got it. <laughs> Stab, happened. <laughs> you know, I I just love this opening shot. Uh, I, I don't think I could say enough about it, but we're going to have to say enough about it because we have to talk about the, the remake here. And you get a very different approach to this. We sort of get more like a day in the life of Michael Myers, as it were. Right. Um, at this point, we, we see uh, Dave Farage, who plays Michael Myers at age 10. We get some shots of his uh, his mother. Let's see, Deborah Myers, who's played by Sherry Moon Zombie. We get uh, William Forsythe as Ronnie White. And what I can appreciate about this opening sequence is the way it's filmed, it is kind of like capturing sort of the trauma of being in like this sort of abusive household really well. In a actually very believable and disturbing way like you're just sitting there and it's like all right the dad's a dr- drunk and he's kind of like paralyzed and he's got a thing with the sister so it's like is there some kind of relationship there it seems like there might be that's creepy the mom is like struggling you know the sister is is lashing out too and appears like to be kind of like sexualized as well as as a teenager it's just a very strange dynamic but like i've met you know, people in my time that have been in situations like that, and it really sort of resonated with me. They're like, this is a terrible place for a 10-year-old kid to be. Kudos to all the actors for making this scene very uncomfortable for me. Um, <laughs> and really, with without it having anything to do with what you would expect 
from like a standard horror film, which is just like, is someone going to get stabbed? I was more like, oh my God, this family dynamic. I can't, I can't keep up. What'd you think about that approach? Yeah, it was definitely a different approach. Just going back to the original, you know, we don't know much about Michael's home life. His parents seem like normal people when they come out of the car in the beginning or after, you know, he does the stabbing. So they don't seem like these terrible people that we get in the remake. So I think they were just trying to establish that Michael comes from this broken home and, you know, where the original is kind of like, this guy's, this kid's just evil. The remakes may be saying, well, maybe a little bit of nurture there could have helped him not be so evil. So I think they were trying to make us maybe understand Michael a little bit more. I think so. Uh, but without necessarily doing it so successfully. I don't I don't know if they necessarily hit the mark on that, if that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, if, if that's what they were trying to do, I think you're right that they do miss the mark a little bit. A character that we'll talk about in both films, the Doctor, in this particular movie, he does indicate that there is a bit of a nature and sort of nurture elements to this Michael Myers. You know, we're, at, we're asked to sort of question his motivation more in this film and beyond this opening scene because comparatively, comparatively, you get sort of like five minutes in this original movie. We get actually kind of like our first act of the movie sort of going over Michael Myers' youth. So I mentioned the traumatic home life. He gets to school and it kind of continues there. He's bullied and stuff like that. He lashes out. We learn in this school scene when he, the principal who played... Sorry, I, I don't even know if it really matters who plays the principal, but, like, is that what that guy looks like? Was that makeup? Like, were you? Yeah, he didn't look like uh, an old dude. Uh, it definitely looked like he was wearing some kind of prosthetic on his face to just yeah. make him look older. I don't know it's... if that was anybody in particular that we're supposed to be like, oh, it was that guy playing the principal. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't look right, yeah. his face. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and this is played by Richard Lynch. Uh, again, you'll have to forgive us if we don't, know if that's supposed to be a reference to something because uh, I know these slasher films tend to be very sort of uh, referential and you know mm-hmm. pay homage to things I sorry it's not my favorite genre but like uh anyway principal you know fuck you buddy you know they get into a little thing mm-hmm. um it is then revealed by the principal to uh uh Deborah Myers played by Rob Zombie's wife um that this kid is like harming animals which is sort of that classic tropey you know, if you can kill an animal, you might be a serial killer. And we get this foreshadow here. <sighs> Again, sorry. I'm, there's a lot, so I have to <laughs> go through it. No, I know, I know. So so then from from there, you know, he gets kicked out of school for the day or whatever. And, you know, it kind of continues his home life. More abuse from uh, uh, the Ronnie White character, the dad. Uh, you know, similar to our sort of Red Dragon and Manhunter episode. Manhunter specifically homophobic slurs are thrown out there there's all kinds of weird tension and violence um which culminates with basically michael michael's mom works at a strip club that kind of matters i guess well actually i'm jumping around i'm skipping a death actually you skipped a death man skipping a death uh one of the school bullies um gets his uh bully comeuppance because after this scene uh on the walk home michael basically sort of ambush he stalks him the way michael myers does ambushes him which i thought was a nice little touch it was you see like oh yeah he's doing the thing he's gonna do when he's an older guy okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not too bad and uh this particular michael myers uh one of the differences that we see is we see a lot more sort of day stalking he doesn't really matter when he's chasing you because he's not as nearly as worried about the visibility as our original michael myers which is building a little bit more 
sort of suspense in the hiding. But this Michael Myers is, in my opinion, more of a brute force, which we're kind of getting to. So um, he's chasing this guy. The guy sees him. He starts beating him with a stick. The kid begs for his life. He gets no such mercy. Um, <laughs> that will be a recurring theme in this film as well. You know, we, we see him when he gets home. He's wearing sort of more of his Halloween costume. His sister's supposed to take him out for Halloween. And she just says, screw that. I'm going to hook up my boyfriend. So Mike gets upset. He uh, ties up the stepfather, slashes his throat, goes upstairs, still, again, stalking the boyfriend a little bit. He beats the boyfriend over the head in the kitchen with an aluminum bat, takes the guy's mask, his sort of, uh, like you mentioned, the, the uh, Shatner mask, goes upstairs, stabs his sister. It's all very brutal, gory, horrific. His mom comes home to complete horror and... They do a little bit more backstory building here because once this happens, we get some of the news coverage, the fact that he was in this very long trial, the fact that he's at the, um, sorry, my note taken wasn't that great, but uh, whatever grove, the- uh, Mental institution. I didn't yeah, get the specifics it doesn't either. Matter. Yeah. The uh, the mental institution where we meet another character that we'll talk about extensively, Dr. Loomis. And we kind of go through about a year or so of Mike Myers trying to get sort of treatment for his- uh, psychosis as it were and he he's sort of he starts out he's kind of still has that sort of little kid mentality he, d- he doesn't really take ownership at least as himself without the mask i guess of uh what he's done he just doesn't believe it's him and you know once it starts to kind of sink in more he regresses more and more he wears the mask more and more he makes his own mask it's all creepy and weird and uh we get a lot of it <laughs> and <sighs> that culminates that culminates <laughs> with, uh, you know, his mom comes to visit him from time to time. And, you know, when she's walking out of the room with the doctor at one point, he, uh, for almost no reason at all, kills a nurse with a fork. That's all horrific and, and bad. And it's not really until that scene that we finally start moving into older Mike Myers. You know, without saying definitively, I would say this has to be 20 to 30 minutes of uh, backstory. Just getting, about, yeah. just getting to that point. So uh, yeah. if you want to know why the runtime is longer, we, we spend a significant portion of the beginning of the film learning this backstory. Um, also, we want to just put it out there that we the version we watched is not necessarily a theatrical version. Yeah. Uh, rented, I rented on Amazon. It was the only version of Halloween from 2007 there was. Apparently that's the director's cut. It's the only version Rob Zombie wants people to see. Right. So... We're going to have a longer runtime. I think you said it was 10 minutes longer than the actual theatrical cut. Yeah. From what the research that I've done, this cut, some of the black and white footage that you see uh, when we're in this mental institute, the doctor is given sort of his assessment of what's going on. A lot of those black and white scenes are uh, specific to the director's cut. The nurse, when she says something about uh, about the baby picture that's not in the theatrical version, doesn't really add or change much. But, uh, you know, it it's makes her a little bit more antagonistic, I guess. But honestly, I think in some ways that may take away from just this sort of pure evil that we see. So yeah, it's... I mean, do we want to kind of backtrack a little bit and just talk about these murders? Or yeah, let's talk about the murders. Okay, so we talked about he was torturing animals. He kills his pet rat, and he takes photos of a bunch of dead animals. You know, like you said, serial killer shit. <laughs> and even the mom's like, oh, "That's not so bad." It's like, really, <laughs> really. <laughs> stepdad's on it he's like this, this kid's a fucking psycho let me just taunt the psycho that's a good idea stepdad that doesn't come to bite him in the ass later so he kills this 
school bully who um, really rips into him and his mom uh, for being a stripper and just like says all this nasty stuff with, about her. With a cool, and, like uh, you said, with a cool callback, the flyer that he has is the same name of the uh, the cigarettes that the nurse has. It's like the Red Rabbit um, and or whatever, some, something like that. It's the flyer is that place, so it's that's a nice mm. little callback. Hmm. Mm. Anyways. <laughs> 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 anyway, so Michael Stockton is kid, <laughs> and uh, you know it's pretty brutal. But I feel like what they're doing for this young Michael Myers is almost trying to justify it yeah. instead of just saying he's a pure evil. Because what he is getting picked on by this kid, this kid is physically threatening him, mm-hmm. right? And he's saying like, if I see him again, I'm gonna just rip him apart or whatever. Yeah. And uh, you know, Michael does get the upper hand and he definitely takes it too far by killing the kid but there are there's always like a little bit of justification for like all the people he attacks i would say in early the, in the film the yeah yeah i'd say when he's a little kid up until that nurse mm-hmm. and, who really doesn't do anything too much even the nurse as we talk about the sort of difference between the version that most people will see which is the uh, directors or the unrated cut even the nurse i guess she kind of says something kind of dicky to him but like uh you know, saying that he's an ugly kid or something like that. But, like, again, I think that gives us some space to say, well, he's only doing this when provoked, even though, like you mentioned, he takes it far, far too far. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know why they do that, though. You know, to your earlier point, it doesn't fit the character arc because once they get past this youth thing, they immediately, like, that's not a factor even a little bit. Maybe, maybe towards the end. And we'll talk about that. Maybe you could say that this comes back into play, but it really doesn't. So I'm not sure what's up with the emphasis on humanizing him in these early parts. It actually causes a little uh, confliction for me because it feels like a separate movie. Yeah. I weirdly do sort of appreciate this section of the film. Like I mentioned before, I think they do a really good job of capturing this type of trauma, but then... They've attached it to a slasher film, and it, it, mm-hmm. I don't think that it works because slasher films are on their face utterly ridiculous. So by trying to like humanize it, I don't think that the two genres blend well. Yeah, I think they do a lot to kind of justify Michael's actions and like even like the mask. We'll get into that when, you, when we talk about an older Michael and. I don't know, like you said, humanize him, which doesn't make sense because, you know, Michael Myers isn't really human. He's superhuman. And we'll, we'll get to this when we talk about the endings, but the motherfucker can get shot like 10 times and not go down. Right. You know, he's he's not supposed to be like relatable or we don't need to understand every little aspect about him because later he's going to be able to do things that you can't explain and you didn't explain yeah. in, by showing us all this stuff from his youth. So... I don't know. It's, it feels like one step forward, but you're still taking two steps back because you're going to do what we did in the original Halloween and what you did for this first hour trying to humanize him isn't going to yeah necessarily connect with what I we're mean, doing in the later half. I mean, to your point, if you're going to make him sort of as, I don't know, superhuman as we know Michael Myers to be, like he mentioned, I didn't really have a question about why he was able to do this in the first film. It was just kind of, excuse me, it was kind of, freaky and uh and scary you know like uh mm-hmm. and you know there's a, a plausibility to that particular movie because he's not shot 
as many times and with the same type of firepower. So did he get away? Uh, do I have questions of how he survives and figures all that out? Sure. But, uh, you know, whatever. It's just part of the lore when you really think about it. Right. But and like you mentioned, in this particular film, um, I saw this little kind of like scrawny 10 year old. And I know he, for some reason, becomes some huge freaking guy. Um, <laughs> they got a good gym at that I guess they do. Like, I, which doesn't, again, which doesn't make sense either because nobody, we saw his entire family. No one in his family is this big. If you're going to do. Well, the mom, that's why they, uh, Rob casted his wife because she's a little bit taller. So it was kind of hoping that that's why Tyler's so. I didn't. That's why Michael's so tall. I didn't I know. buy that. Like, I guess she yeah, was tall. I, she, didn't, she wasn't that tall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I mean, like, if you're going to do that, like you mentioned, if you're going to go into the weird humanizing thing, uh, you at least do some Bane stuff. Give this guy some steroids or something in a scene just so I can say, oh, that's why he's big. You know, like I, maybe uh, Danny Trejo. Maybe they, ex- maybe they experimented him uh, on him in the institution. That's possible. There you go. That's possible. Bam. Yeah. Swish. Solve that problem right there. Yeah, but you had to solve it. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, to your point, like all this humanizing factor mm-hmm. makes you hit the bullshit button when bullshit happens i don't think the benefit of getting this lore fits into this like if they did like a prequel of the movie maybe i could right. go with this but like the fact that we basically do the same thing we have all this build up and like he does get very scary and large so i can kind of buy it in that sense but i'm also not wondering why he is so scary and large how did that happen because we kind of just skipped from being a scrawny right. kid to that. So, like, yeah. um, to your point, do they experiment on him? Is this, what other weird stuff happens? I mean, we do know the staff in this particular place can be real assholes, um, oh. to put it lightly. So, who knows what the hell is going on? Who knows what further abuse that he's going through? But uh, the problem is, again, we're in a Halloween movie, and we're worried about the treatment of Michael Myers at the Institute. Like, I, 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 didn't, yeah. I didn't have to think about that in the first film. I know. If they're trying to make us sympathize with Michael, you know, he, he crosses the line. I think he crosses the line when you find out he's killing animals. Mm-hmm. But, you know, poor defenseless animals. He definitely crosses the line by killing that first bully. You know, beating him up is one thing. But then, like, the kid's pleading for his life. And you're just like, all right. And you just squash him with this stick. So, at that point, you can't really sympathize Correct. for the kid. Because he's already killing. And he knows <laughs> what he's doing. And then he's going to go ahead and do that to pretty much his whole family later. Right. It just felt a little redundant to me that, oh, we need to see him kill them now. Oh, now we need to see him kill this other person. It's like, I get he's a cold-blooded killer because you showed me in the first five minutes. Uh, Do we need to see it spread out for another half hour? Yeah. To your point, like, you could could lose the bully scene. That's why I I think mentally I just skipped over it because, uh, like you said, it is redundant. And um, it... Again, they're they're stepping on their own messaging here because immediately after the family death, the most gruesome murder in our history and uh, the longest trial, and it's like all this sort of uh, sort of like our murder on Orient Express, sort of like the new spinning newspapers here, uh, <laughs> but you know done through like uh, TV or whatever um, and journalism. It's just yeah, I don't need to think this kid is human because like you mentioned, after those first couple of deaths, it's like lock him up forever. I don't need to explore why this happened or what's mm-hmm. wrong with him. I just know something's wrong with him. Right. Maybe that's a bit of our throwaway culture as a society, but like, ugh, this kid's, it ain't good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, should we keep going with the deaths? Yeah, we can, we can keep going. 
I guess, again, I'll just sort of say how they're all kind of justified. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you said the stepdad was a prick. He was a prick not only to Michael, but like to his mom, Mom's especially sister. to his mom and the sister. Yeah. So, okay, you're kind of justifying that. He's calling him like, you know, saying some very negative things, sure. uh, very homophobic things to him. And uh, maybe the boyfriend wasn't so justified. He wasn't necessarily a dick to Michael, but um, he's kind of the reason Michael couldn't go trick-or-treating. So yeah. let's sort of say that's a justification. Sure. The sister, before she kills Michael, kind of like slaps him around a little bit. Okay. So again, we're sort of justifying that, you know, he was, he's never like the first right. to like provoke somebody. He's always, it's always like a reaction to what they did to him. Sure. So like, to, but it's, we're playing the same beat over and over again. Mm. To your point, we didn't, maybe we just cut out that bully and then just have Michael just might, kill the family. It might help. I mean, cause like the bully yeah. thing's not in the first movie. So again, you know, the expansion, I think there are some benefits to this expansion, but also I think there's. Uh, as we're pointing out, I think there's more negatives here because, uh, you know, again, the nurse technically, the nurse struck first. I mean, it was verbally, but like, again, because we do focus on the doctor um, and his assessment of Michael in this film a little bit more, his feeling that uh, the, the young boy, the innocent kid is leaving and he's regressing and he's becoming more and more of this sort of monster. Yeah, I, I get that that's what he's trying to say, but uh, that little boy did not exist for much of this film. And even though, you know, they talk and Michael at some points doesn't see himself as a person that did these things. He is the person that did these things. And I don't think they do enough to actually do any sort of psychoanalysis. Like for instance, no. our film psycho where the doctor at the end does, you know, this long sort of explanation. I think they're trying to do something like that. And it, it's not working for me because they're not saying anything, you know, no. um, they're not getting answers to us. Pretty much, Michael won't talk. He's crazy. Mm -hmm. We know that. And after 20 minutes of like analyzing Michael, we're still at the same point we were from pretty much the beginning of the movie when we found out he's killing animals. Yeah. We didn't learn anything new about how what makes Michael tick. I mean, you got to think that for again in this original film, we never hear Michael Myers talk. At least not you know nothing verbalized or audible mm -hmm. of any right. substance. So. Okay, we have this silent character from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. In his remake, you know, we hear him talk, we hear him, what he's going through, he's trying to explain himself and stuff like that. And all that just to basically make him the same silent character. And if you're going to do that, again, I don't think we need so much time with mm. the kid. This movie would probably do well to bring this runtime down a little bit. Like mm. you mentioned, I think maybe one or two of the doctor sessions. I don't even think you need to kill the nurse, to be honest. I don't think we need any of the doctor's sessions, honestly. Like, when he killed his family and he gets found, the mom outside, I think you could have cut right from there to the adult Michael. You, Not even the institution, institutionalized Michael. You could have cut to the escaping Michael, just like the original film did. Yeah. But there's a whole 40 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever, of us just going through Michael's psyche and figuring out, like, what makes him tick. And we yeah. ultimately... Don't really learn anything okay. at all, <laughs> except that I don't have patience <laughs> for these long things. I, I understand. Because I, ch I checked the clock a lot during that intro, because I was like, we're still doing this? Is, is Michael Myers, as I know him, going to show up in this film? Because you don't see the Michael we know for a long time in this first movie. We, stand, we spend like 50 minutes on this Michael in the institution. It's... Right. 
It's a bold move. I'll say that. It is. It is bold. And like I said, every benefit that they got from it happened for me just like in the first movie in like the first five minutes. Yeah. Everything that was like, oh, wow, what an interesting sort of take happened right. for me in that first scene with the family yeah. drama. I was like, woo, this is mm-hmm. this ain't good. <laughs> You know, no. And then, you know, after you, like you mentioned, after you kill the family, got it. That wasn't good. But you're right. Um, I think that this probably isn't the way we plan this. But uh, I'm going to just jump in right here because uh, the way these films are structured and say that uh, to your point about all this, let's start talking about Dr. Loomis. All right. Even before we talk about sort of our our lead uh, sort of. OK, if you so, want. Yeah, go ahead. So because. Dr. Loom was played by Donald Pleasance in the uh, first film. He does not get nearly as much screen time. So uh, I don't even want to sort of like lead with him. He comes a little bit later. Uh, I want to talk about Malcolm McDowell in the remake, uh, Sam Loomis, who, I mean, like, just looks like he literally looks like he's teaching acting class. He's got a black turtleneck on and he's <laughs> chewing up scenery. And, and I think, they made these choices because they, I think they liked what Malcolm McDowell was doing in the film. Like he, he did sort of add another layer to the Sam Loomis character. He, he's conflicted. We're kind of living Michael's life out through this other, what's supposed to be kind of a side character. And he just spends so much time. He's like, Oh, I failed you. And uh, there's darkness in his eye. Like, it really feels like, I'm like, is this inside the actor studio? Like, <laughs> uh, I say all that to say, like, to even really talk about Michael Myers in the remake, we have to talk about this doctor who spends maybe more screen time than uh, Michael Myers. Maybe. Possible. You know, at least he's he's one of the few people in this film that consistently speaks. (laughs) Uh, Yes, he does have lines (laughs) in this movie. And uh, the lines are probably in that little book that he wrote. But uh, I, again, I wanted to bring that character up, though, because in the original film, we do get to see this doctor a little bit. But like our intro to him is like, he's just driving with some nurse and they're going. They're like, right, why do they let them walk around out here? This is That's not safe. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they do the obligatory, uh, I'm going to get out of the car and make a random phone call. You sit in the car and, oh, Michael Myers is going to smash his window and he's going to escape. So the doctor in this movie sort of is directly responsible for the Michael Myers escape in the original film. Mm-hmm. Not really, but yeah, you could make that argument. And, you know, it's, it's about all you need, right? Like, he drives up, yeah. why'd you let this guy get out? You guys fucked up. He's like, well, you should have not let us. He's like, uh, mm-hmm. whatever. You know where he's going. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's a very straightforward plot, and I appreciate it because I don't need all this ramp up to a guy that's going to run around one day while everyone's dressed <laughs> up as, uh, you know, trick-or-treaters, and uh, it's going to stab a couple people. This original film falls squarely in the genre it's supposed to be in, which is uh, camp, you could say, but a slasher, for sure. This is a mm-hmm. classic slasher film. In fact, I would say this is a hell of a blueprint for how slasher films would be defined going forward. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, the only reason I'm bringing up this doctor and in, in doing it now is so that we can mercifully get past this opening sequence in the remake and say that the doctor's there, he's an important part of the film, and Michael Myers is going to escape in his remake. <laughs> so, 
So uh, Malcolm McDowell, um, I like to an extent, you know. Yeah, he was good in Clockwork Orange. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I I think that if, that's the extent. <laughs> I think if they cut his screen time on this and maybe, well, now I'm just this is an entirely different experience. So I'm making shit <laughs> as we speak. But if if they cut the screen time a little bit and made him less sort of over the top, it'd been okay. But I I did sort of like that. He was our barometer for the crazy. But again, given what we know, we don't really need this barometer because our eyes function. I thought it was weird, though, that he he has like zero role in Michael Myers escaping, but acts like it's his fault. Yeah, so that's one thing I was a little confused about because Michael escapes around the same time Dr. Loomis says, I can't see you anymore, Michael. That was, I think that's <laughs> that, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, so I wasn't sure if like, is that sort of the catalyst that kind of now the security's a little more lax because Dr. Loomis isn't there to like tell people like you can't go into his room and do naughty things <laughs> because uh, he'll kill you and escape. It's I don't know why we needed Dr. Loomis to tell Michael that he was done with him after 20 years or so. It, it, if that had any impact on his escape and I'm assuming it's supposed to too but i don't i can't make the connection myself i can't make the connection either because michael myers does not speak at this point (laughs) in the film so i don't know what his motivation is other than wanting to harm people you know like that's the again that really is the only motivation i need so to your point because we can't make this connection with the doctor i'm not sure why he's there and it's such a ham-fisted escape somehow this escape is worse than the very shitty escape in the original film yeah I don't know what they were thinking. It's, I mean, should we just get to the escape sure. right now? Or so, so, again, going back to the original, what you get is, like I said, they, they drive up at night. There's no even context. You don't even really know. No, it's, it's great. No, I'm, let, let me get into this because sure. I remember this from my youth, man. So just imagine, Reggie, you're driving down a dark road in the middle of the night, and you drive past an asylum, and you just see random patients on the lawn. Is that not an unsettling, it is unsettling. vision? Just like, okay. <laughs> This is kind of fucked. <laughs> I might be fucked. Like, that's that's a powerful thing to see. All right? So, like, I'll buy that. <laughs> like, all right, all the lunatics are out. This is this is a scary situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a little campy. Yeah, he, Michael just climbs on top of the car like a fucking, I don't know. <laughs> he like, just a, climbs like a on velociraptor, Dan. Like a velociraptor. <laughs> they can't open doors. <laughs> uh, and apparently Michael can drive. That dude breaks that window with just, just palm fist that window right, yeah. right open. They have a very good gym at that uh, institution as well. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, he rips the nurse out of the car, just drives away, and there's no security or any. I don't. Maybe everybody's dead. We don't even get an explanation of like how it happened, but it's just happening, and I'm fine with that yeah. at this point because. They basically say, bought, I bought good faith from that opener. I was like, all right, well, I'm go, I'm on the ride already. Okay, sure, he escaped from the asylum. Yeah, I forget the exact line, but like two roadblocks in a in a guard, like you might as well have, uh, walked them out. You know, it's like okay, <laughs> cool. I guess that wasn't enough. Um, and I again because we don't know a lot about Michael. Like he was ten. You know, one of the people that works at the mental institute were basically saying, like, he doesn't know how to drive. He's like, well, maybe someone taught him. It's like, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy it. <laughs> and, and again, like like you mentioned, so, again, no real context, but you get this. Like, and again, it's the shot itself. It's not even mm-hmm. necessarily the setup. It's this dark, 
And don't forget the music. Yes. <laughs> the music's important. This dark road, like you said, you just got like the lunatics up on the, the chain link fence <laughs> and stuff like that. And it, you're right. It is, it's unsettling. And I wouldn't want to be driving down that road. And it even makes you do that classic horror film thing where it's like, I'm getting out of the car. It's like, don't get out of the car. <laughs> Listen to her. So to some extent, I guess the escape's on him, but like no one's really blaming him. And, and uh, mm-hmm. he just makes the assumption that he's going back home. I like it. Takes us right back to where it all started. It's 15 years later. Set up. Done. Nice and clean. Even with the Velociraptor hand, you know, thing, uh, I'm fine with it. The remake. I, I, I'll do this. And, all right. Uh, I know. The remake. <clears throat> Just to frame this up, Danny Trejo plays a guard in uh, the film, and he's like a guard that's been nice to Michael Myers this entire time. He has a, a senior position now. He's worked his way up in the loony bin. And, uh, you know, he's basically warning a new guard, like, don't be an idiot. This huge guy that's making all the masks all day <laughs> is dangerous <laughs> and be scared. Okay, got it. Didn't really get it because I didn't show up with uh, something like Ed Norton lookalike. <laughs> 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 and for some reason, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm looking right in the camera. If you're a filmmaker, do not do this. <laughs> do not <laughs> take an unlikable character with zero background other than he's a guard. Have him show up with some other guy we haven't been introduced to. Have him take some woman that we have not been introduced to out of her cell so that these two characters that we don't really know can then abuse and sexually assault her and then continue by opening the door to uh, um, the Mike Myers, uh, this giant you know, face mask making guy so that they can continue to graphically sexually assault this character who is unnamed at this point. And the scene is far too long. It's far too graphic. It does nothing for the story. It's a bad scene. It should not fucking exist. Uh, I would rather see him bust out of the chains in the theatrical version and knock a couple guards around. I do not need to see um, trigger warning an extended rape scene. And then Mike Myers kind of choke some guys out and escape. It, it's a bad, bad, bad fucking scene. I don't like I it. I don't. Sorry. Yeah. Your, your turn. <laughs> no. It's. I don't even know where to start with how fucking bad this scene is. I mean, okay, I guess I'll start with the two fucking idiots. It's like, obviously, you know, they're, what they're doing is terrible raping this woman, but it's like, okay, hey, I have an idea. Let's rape her in the room with the guy that's like fucking eight feet tall who's like, I'm fucking like, you know, trying to get a rise out of all the time that's a good idea he's not gonna snap or anything like what what where is your pet at that you're like yeah that's a good idea i mean it's just so bizarre and yeah the rape scene is way too graphic you do not need to show that they both pretty much raped her before anything happened in that scene it's like did that really have to happen did i need to see that what is that doing for me learning about this world that michael myers i don't I don't know how that's helping me understand Michael more. And it's like, is he supposed to have a hero moment because he's saving this girl? I don't know. What is the point of having her be this victim, very graphic victim in the scene? It's, I don't, I don't understand. uh, I didn't understand it at all. It it reminds me of a a classic sort of comic book sort of meme at this point, which is uh, fridging. Um, There's a, 
I think it's like Green Lantern or something like that, or like it doesn't matter. Green Arrow actually. Uh, there's a scene in a comic book where like his girlfriend gets murdered and like put into a fridge, and the only purpose is that so that he can have a hero arc. To your earlier point, Dan, what are they doing here? Because these two gentlemen are now squarely in the genre of villain, and actually at this point, the biggest villains in the movie because what they're doing is yeah. is un it's unprompted. It's uh, it's obscene. It it there's no place for it in this film at all. And you've just taken a movie about a slasher stabby guy, and you've somehow made two random guys who I don't even remember their names, Mm-mm. the biggest villains in the movie, <laughs> to then be killed by our supposedly big villain in a way that then what? Like, am I supposed like? I I had to say in the scene, mercifully, the serial killer kill these guys so that this scene would stop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to then have us now say, well, we're an hour in, guys. Movie just started. Get ready for Halloween as you know it. <laughs> well, not yet, Reggie. We still gotta oh, go to we a got truck a stop lot first. Of talking. This is a long fucking movie. Um, I, I, yeah, but that, that in summation, I, hate I, mean, that, just... I hate that scene. It's a terrible scene. It doesn't do anything. It's confusing. And yeah, to your point, it, they are the biggest villain at that point. They're bigger than Michael Myers. Just Jesus Christ. At least, at least he's, you know, an abused, nutso serial killer. Mm-hmm. Like, these guys are just scumbags of highest variety. And mm-hmm. the problem, once again, is, okay, I got it. Backstory, humanizing, sure, sure. You know, you can do that in the film. That's a choice. But now, like... I'm once again thinking about this institution. Why am I thinking about this random location? It's a set piece. It, you know, it'd be like if I was at Medieval Times, it's like, you know, this Medieval Times has been improperly storing uh, its frozen goods for the past 10 years. Well, why are they doing that? Why am I thinking about that? I, I don't want to think about shit like this in a movie. And it makes me like Rob Zombie less because I question his judgment. I know. <laughs> It's, what are you doing? I mean, I hate to compare it to another movie that has a similar setup, but like Kill Bill, right? They have a similar scene where the guy, the, the nurse is going around like paying, getting paid by people to let him rape people on the bed. But it, ha- it serves a purpose yeah. because Uma, that's kind of where she gets her arsenal from. She gets the car from the guy. She's able to escape from where she is because of it. You know, yeah. it, it takes us somewhere. This doesn't really take us anywhere. Just Michael's now going to kill, you know, like he's been doing and like he will do. You're going to see Michael kill. All right. Well, we didn't need this fucking terrible graphic scene to do that. You could have just had him. You could have just had that guy didn't like Michael. Why don't you just have him go in there with like a club or something and just start hitting Michael? How about that? And then you could keep on going with that theme that Michael keeps on like kind of defending himself or is like always the second guy to attack and just takes it too far. You did not need a graphic rate. Not to rewrite a bad scene. You could even have whatever they were doing in the hallway not really focusing on the actual act itself. And then, have, like you mentioned, have him go into the room and say, oh, you hear that? And slur this, slur that, and then have the guy go nuts. You know what I mean? Like, to to your point, to bring them in... I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Sorry. I, I don't want to talk about yeah. it anymore. Um, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Move- Fair enough. Maybe we could just change... Before we get out of the asylum, mm-hmm. or before we... I just... You had mentioned the masks very briefly. Yes. I do want to just get into the masks a little bit yeah we could talk okay. about the mask so um this it's almost a character in itself in this film the mass sort of early on in a uh, young michael myers sort of tenure as it were 
as the therapy isn't going well, he's starting to regress, as I mentioned. And it starts very simply early. It's like almost like a paper plate with a string through it. And he makes his first mask. And then he continues to make masks throughout the film out of like paper mache. And his, his, uh, his cell is just strewn with all these sort of intricate but simple masks. And uh, part of what leads to this sort of killing scene that we've been talking about is it's not all the other horrific stuff that's happening. <laughs> it's the guy start touching his mask. Which, again, while, again, horrible stuff is happening, another guy has to tell him, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that, in the middle of doing something completely awful. And it's just like, well, you have the wherewithal to say, that's not a, bad, a good idea? Like, I, I'm, just, I'm just very confused. Um, but masks are an important part of this, Michael Myers. Um, it, he has this idea that, like, because it's true, he does terrible things and to sort of hide his shame, as it were, for lack of a better explanation, um, he has these masks, and it, it's when he's wearing the mask is when he's his true self. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> thank you for that explanation, Reggie. I'm going to go ahead and say pointless. I don't give a fuck why Michael Myers is wearing the mask. It's stupid, too, because you set him up like he's in this institution. He's been making masks for 20 years, mm-hmm. right? So, wouldn't it make more sense after he breaks out to keep wearing masks that he makes or maybe make masks out of his victims or something like something that something like that but let no let's just go to the attic of my old house finally i've been waiting 20 years to wear this old mask again so the whole thing with him being obsessed and making these masks it's just thrown out the window yeah as soon as we're out yeah no like so fucking pointless you can't touch my mask but i'm gonna leave all my masks behind yeah and never wear any of them again or make any new ones it it's a weird stylistic choice. Um, at this point, like I'm saying, like, and Rob Zombie actually has a decent, like you mentioned some of his other films, actually has a decent sort of runway with me because it's like, I get it. You're the gruesome slasher horror guy, and I respect mm-hmm. that. It's not my favorite genre, but, like, I get that. But uh, I don't know, this particular set of choices, and, I mean, we're talking about a pretty short amount of time in a film here where things go to complete shit, in my opinion. Um, uh, this very short amount of time, like, you're just making so many bad choices. Just, like, film sin after film sin, and I'm just very confused as to why you did it. To continue on this this pathway, when Mike Myers escapes and he kills a bunch of guards, Danny Trejo shows up, and he's, like, he's just showing up to a shift, so he has no idea the horror that's ensued. You know, he find some dead bodies, you know, starts to try to call them in. Mike Myers is there. And he's like, Mike, hey, hey, buddy, I've been good to you. And it's true. that We have establishing scenes of Danny Trejo being nice to Michael Myers, giving him advice. You know, I've been locked up. Don't let these walls bring you down, Mike. Best pals club. Weird. <laughs> cool. But then to have Mike Myers kill him actually more brutally than other people, and for Danny Trejo to be like, I was good to you, I guess you could say that, like, the last shred of humanity is gone but that doesn't work because later on in the film there's a moment where he sort of stumbles in a, in a scene where he could just kind of enact a murder but he doesn't right away mm-hmm. and it, you know uh i guess this is so dumb uh, i guess in that scene his mask is off so maybe that's part of it but it doesn't make sense it's not well explained it's not well shot a lot of things are are brought up that have no bearing on what will then happen in the film. Stop showing me things if they don't matter. It's the classic Chekhov's gun. You don't put a gun in the first act. 
and no one gets shot. You know, it just, you don't put a mask on the wall, a series of masks, and then he's not even switching masks. He just gets the old mask, like you said, and that's it. That, stop it, bro. It's not, it's a bad choice. Yeah. I'll go ahead and defend Trejo's death. Um, I, I don't know. For some reason, just like going back to Chucky, like I've liked that the mom was an innocent person getting killed. Mm. I like the turn that like, okay, Dane Trejo was nice to him, so now he's going to get killed. It's the only death that's kind of makes sense. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's more in tune with the Michael Myers we know. Because just like the original movie, he kills his sister totally unprovoked. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's first victim, which is completely unprovoked. But it took us so fucking long to get there. Yeah. Couldn't we have done something else? We're... You know, you know, and then just like maybe spend a little more time with Trejo too. Like really build that relationship out. So you think that, oh, he's definitely going to be what? safe. Mm-hmm. And then so you could really break my heart when they kills him. Right. But wouldn't it have uh, been it was just too little too late. Yeah. But I do appreciate it. I, I, I can I can rock with you there. I, I can agree to some extent because it does it is the turn that makes him Michael Myers finally in the film. Like we mentioned, this is like an hour and one minutes into a two hour long film. Again, people, we have not gotten to Halloween. It's not Halloween yet. <laughs> it we're an hour into the film. Like he he's not even wearing the mask. No. We my, Malcolm McDowell has chewed up scenery and you know, coming into this conversation, I was like I kind of like it. I like a little over-the-top acting. But then, as you're describing, like, no, this is bad. This is actually bad. I appreciate that he's a stronger doctor uh, in the original film, but they do so much with him, and he doesn't really matter, you know? Mm-mm. Danny Trejo, who, to your point, we would have been better off with, like, Danny Trejo on the side, like, maybe doing a juxtaposition of, like, the doctor saying he's going further and further, and Danny Trejo, even if he's not talking, like, scenes where he's, like, giving him advice, you know, helping him with yeah. the paper and shit. Like, making them like this so that right. you mentioned when this happens, it really matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And to your point, so far in this film, the only death, in my opinion, that's been good to is the Danny Trejo death. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. And it's actually one of the best shot deaths so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's really brutal because first he's drowning him underwater and you get this... You're, the camera's underwater. You just see his face and the, the blood coming out of his blood mouth. every time he goes back in. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty traumatic. And then you think he's gonna spare him, throws him down on the ground, and then he goes, "No!" He gets a TV and just smashes. I was good to you. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty brutal because every time he comes up for air, that's all he says. "I was good to you, Mikey." <sighs> drowns him. I was good to you, Mikey. Drowns him. So yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's a good death. I it's like. And to your point, it's it's one of the best deaths in the early movie, but it's just it's too little, too late. <laughs> it's too little, too late. And you know, we we said all this, and uh, like people are gonna start talking about our runtime. We say all this to say <laughs> that in ten minutes in the first movie, mm-hmm. you get more with so much less. Yeah, you get so much more. It's 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 look. I know we do reviews late in this film. It's better, okay? It's just better. <laughs> Five minutes in. Got it. We saw this kid do the deed. Like, we were in his, his, you know, we were his eyes yeah. in this moment. We saw him do the deed. He went to the mental institute. I didn't need to see him grow up in the mental institute. I just saw him escape the mental institute. Holy shit, this guy. Well, I saw he killed his sister in this scene. I saw he, like, is strong enough to just, like, take over this car. 
He figured out how to drive 100 miles to wherever he's going. He's, uh, which we haven't got a chance to talk about his original film yet. He's killed a few people along the way, like every time he steals a new car. Right. Um, and they don't even address it. Like, you know, you'll see a body off to the side mm-hmm. that someone didn't even discover yet. Like, it's such right. a succinct, clean way to get here. Do you want backstory? Maybe. But do you need it? No. So why no. why do it? And, uh, I mean, I, to your point, I don't think I really started having anything resembling fun until the Danny Trejo death and then sort of the next death that we see in the film. <laughs> but it's it, it's so unlike anything else in the movie. And I'm mm-hmm. just very confused as to why this movie has taken on so many different tones. You know, like right. like the, the repressed, uh, abused youth got it. The abused inmate that, you know, has has stopped interacting with the world. Okay, got it. Uh, this terrible, terrible escape scene, you know, minus the Danny Trejo part. And then, because there's not really a one-to-one for this in the movie, uh, the kind of equivalent is, like I just mentioned in the original, uh, he randomly killed some truck driving guy, uh, mm-hmm. like a tow truck kind of. Um, and we don't know anything about that guy. We don't know anything about him. We just know he killed a guy to get his truck. Cool. In the remake, they have this very interesting character, um, which, again, I think may be referential to something. In, in this remake, we have this, uh, this interesting cameo by Ken Foray, who plays Big Joe Grizzly, and I don't quite know what this is. He's like a trucker. He's got like this crazy, like, I don't know, hair get up, and he, he like does remind me of a classic slasher character. This is like over the top guy that's like mm-hmm. stops at a truck stop to take a shit and he's like, hey, buddy, you know, yeah. I think we have a, a failure to communicate. And he has this, <laughs> this crazy line is like, I'm Big Joe Grizzly and I'm going to mess you up. And I swear to God, this is probably the most fun I had watching the movie. It has <laughs> nothing to do with the film, it's a random oh. fight in a truck stop bathroom. I don't know who Big Joe Grizzly is. I don't know why they just let Michael Myers wearing a mask walk out in his clothes with different hair and a different size and demeanor um, and just drive his car away. I don't know why any of that happened. I will say this. I like Big Joe Grizzly. It's definitely one of the more memorable characters in the movie. Unfortunately, doesn't really need to be in the movie because I think all we really get out of that scene is, hey, that's where Michael gets his jumpsuit. Huh? Yeah. From that guy. Get it? I mean, he's an entertaining character yeah. for the two minutes he's in the film. I, but we're already like, we're already running yeah. really long here with Four this sort teams. of prequel part, and we're just like dying to see Michael Myers as we know him. So it could have been cut, and it's a fun scene, but I, I'm sure he's somebody. You know what I mean? Like uh, he was in, a, I think he was in one of like Day of the Dead or something, that makes one sense. of those zombie movies. Fa- fantastic beautiful camp that's how you do a slasher film and in this brief brief moment in this movie it's like okay i like this weird (laughs) tone that you've taken and but to your point unfortunately because of how strong of a scene this is for the all the wrong reasons by the way for how strong of a scene this is this is one of the most memorable characters and then now that we're finally at where the movie the original movie picks up about 15 minutes in now that (laughs) hour and 15 minutes in we're finally kind of at the whole point of the goddamn movie i'll say this 
You know who's not memorable in this remake? All of the goddamn characters that were memorable in the original movie. <laughs> Every sort of equivalent character that we get introduced to and have some sort of investment in in this original film, and we're going to talk about why and uh, as we talk about these characters, as a very early spoiler of where this conversation is going, I don't give a shit about any of them, the way they filmed no. this movie. No, because we're an hour in at this point. We're a little exhausted. I don't care We're just dying Lori. to see some Michael Myers. And it's like, okay, here's Lori. Yeah, like you said, uh, we see her after 15 minutes in the original. An hour! A fucking hour we don't see our heroine. Really? I, this is insane to me. I, it's a bold move, Rob Zombie. <laughs> a bold bold move. Let's see if it works out for him. <laughs> to this, let me grab another beer because I'm going to need it for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, I'm going to need one too, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this fucking movie. Station. All right. So you want to get into Lori now? Yeah, it, you know what? <laughs> I do. And uh, looking at the clock uh, for the audience as well, we are, I think, ahead of the introduction is <laughs> in this film. And we spent a little bit of time talking about uh, this remake's uh, first act, first half, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, in all fairness, too, we also had to talk about the original film, too. <laughs> Yeah, you'll notice that uh, we haven't been as critical so far. Um, <laughs> so, in the, you know, one of the other things I, I recall looking at the uh, that opening sort of sequence from the original film with the Jack Lantern stuff like that, we get introducing, and I love when movies back in the day used to do this, <laughs> introducing Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. Now, I think I'm too used to Jamie Lee Curtis now because, like, as I'm looking at her in the film, it's just so distracting to me. I don't know why. Like, um, she doesn't really look the same age as the other characters either to me. Like, uh, when yeah, when she was first introduced, like the way she was dressed and like carrying herself, I was like, is she like playing somebody's mom or something like that? Like, I, I didn't I didn't <laughs> peg her as a teen, um, at first or really. Yeah, it's funny because she does have she also has a kind of a deeper voice mm-hmm. than the other girls, but. She is the only one that's a teenager. The I, other girls are not. She's I, actually the youngest. I figured because we saw all those boobs that uh, they, they were not actually teenagers. <laughs> but, like, again, um, and you get the same scene in the remake, but it's just not. At this point, like you mentioned, we they've lost a lot of our good graces. But um, in the original, she's walking around with Tommy and, you know, she's dropping off the envelope on the spooky house or whatever. And... The spooky house. The spooky. Man, I had to do it again. I, I, I love it. fucking talking about that remake uh, so much, and we need to bring the spirits up, Reg. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like, again, very simple establishing shots. You know, we get introduced to Tommy very cleanly. We see that Lori's responsible, and then we kind of go into, again, we talked about a day in the life for a young Mike Myers in this remake. We get a little bit of a day in the life of Lori. Yeah. Who's, you know, the star of the film? <laughs> I don't know. Kind of the main <laughs> character, sort of the person that you gotta need to root for. Otherwise, like, because there there are movies where the slasher is the hero. You know that that happens. You can have disposable teams, but like we've established, that she's sort of responsible when she's at school. Um, even though she's distracted from time to time, like she she's a good student. Um, mm-hmm. a little socially awkward when it comes to the, the boys, but like she has her core group of friends and. We know that her core group of friends are going to um, 
you know, hang out tonight. They're going to, you know, someone's going to babysit. Someone's going to try to bang their boyfriend. Someone else is going to do it. <laughs> and like, uh, uh, I'm not naming their names right now, but like, uh, they like matter because we spend some time with them and mm-hmm. they're really the only characters that we know at this point. So like, as you're introduced to people, it's actually pretty impactful because you know who they are. But I, I like this original Lori um, in the sense that she is the the Girl Scout. You know, she is the responsible one, um, the one that sort of kind of knows better. I thought it was again a bold and strange choice to give Lori such an edge in the mm-hmm. remake. You know, um, I thought the way that she interacted with her mother sort of early on with the bagel and everything like that, and right. like the sex jokes. I didn't quite get why uh, uh, Lori in the remake played by Sc- Scout Taylor Compton. I didn't get that. She didn't seem awkward to me. She seemed, like, very confident because she's making these types of jokes, and, you know, she seems to be sort of in the mix with her friends a lot more than uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori doesn't ha- have a boyfriend. I don't think she ever had a boyfriend. And they're constantly trying to hook her up with somebody he's yeah. like anybody like come on Lori, get on with it and yeah you have this very confident Lori in the remake i don't know if she has a boyfriend but she definitely isn't shy talking about sex to her mom as she's like yeah pantomimes fucking a bagel yeah in front of her it's just like okay yeah sure i and help me out here because we don't get any years in the remake so i, I don't know if this is taking place it's, it's in sort of 2007, or if this is taking place nah, in the 70s. It's supposed to be the same timeline. Is it? How did you I, get that? Because mm. of the music. Yes, we the hear music. a lot of uh... the music, and I think, actually, honestly, I think reading some of the synopsis, I, I think so, because mm. like it's the same sort of timeline. It was like 1963, and then 15 years later. Uh, I don't recall, like you mentioned, seeing dates, but I yeah. believe it's supposed to be in the spirit uh, of it. And to your point, uh, based off the music, because I think um, don't they do stuff. Again, I don't want to confuse the movies, but don't they do like Blue Oyster Cult and stuff like that? Yeah, they got Blue Oyster Cult in the remake yeah. a lot. So, I guess it makes sense that it would be in the 70s because nobody has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And you figure uh, people are relying on using the house phones. And but it's, 2007, they might be, but yeah. you think you might see like some technology from but, modern day if it was modern. But to your point, the costume design isn't great. Um, no, because it doesn't look like they're wearing 70s clothes. Yeah. Like the one girl, the one friend's like totally dressed like... Like, she isn't, like, from the 21st century, you know? She's definitely not dressed like she would in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's another... Boy, that's a problem, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to to gauge the, the years, but I believe it's supposed to be more or less the same timeline. Um, yeah, I just... I don't get it. Like, also, too, having the parents being there is also a big change. Lori, like uh, we deal for mother and father in the film. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't really recall meeting any parents. Per I se. think her dad is briefly in the beginning of yeah. the original film, just telling her to put the envelope in that house. Okay, that's it. That that's After it. that we don't we don't see him. And then and then the sheriff, who's uh, the the father of one of uh, right of Annie, I believe. Sheriff right, he, Brackett. We see him in both films. Yeah, but we see the mother and the father in uh, in his remake, and it's actually. Uh, Again, sort of strong characters because I think they yeah. do a very good job of being the mother and the father. Yeah, they're not the typical, like, you better not do this. They seem a little more laid back, obviously. You know, Lori's doing the sex joke to her mom, so it can't be that strict. And even the dad just seems, like, kind of cool. You know, he's out there smoking a cigarette next to them, you know? It's, 
these aren't uh, stuck-up people. They're defined characters. They have a funny moment about, like, I'm going to get lucky later. Yeah, you might get lucky later. They're just cracking jokes. They're, you know, they're actually more well-thought-out than our supposed main characters in some instances. It just, you know, it boggles the mind. Um, they're great characters, and uh, as we learn later in the film, another sort of change in the remake, they get killed. And there's a whole backstory that we're going to get in. Actually, we're talking about Lori, so let's talk about it now. Um, part of the reason they're showing us these parents is because Lori in this film is the adopted... Well, she was just Michael Myers' sister, but she was adopted by uh, this family in the remake. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like a secret. But for some reason, Mike Myers knows exactly who she is. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Um, I don't know if he's gone and looked at hospital records or if he just kind of knows but just a little side note to that because Lori is michael myers sister but in the original film that's never disclosed we never learned that it's actually never told until the second halloween mm. that Lori is michael's younger sister what? so that's just interesting i just i never knew that i always thought michael knew or that the audience knew from that first halloween so i just want to throw that out oh there. yeah no that, that's good to know and i, I think that Again, that's that's great sort of lore building, and I understand the remake sort of just kind of cutting the chase. People know that already at this point, based off the film, so they couldn't kind of hide that. So I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, you know that working knowledge does make sort of sets up the universe in in total, but it doesn't ultimately affect this film. Whereas in this remake, I guess you know it it's in effect, and it's, I guess it's good to know in some regards because of how they did the movie, but like, I don't know. I just don't, it's not the same setup. So like, I'm really just struggling now with this half of the movie too, in the remake, because this Lori character is so different. Like I, mm-hmm. the whole point was that Jamie Lee Curtis was kind of socially awkward. So she wasn't really in the mix and it sort of protected her in some ways and her responsibility kind of came back into play when she's fighting off Michael Myers, like she's a strong character because she's different than everybody else. In this remake, she's a lot like the other people, but doesn't, I never felt that same, even when she's fighting back, I never felt that same agency that Jamie Lee Curtis pulls off when she's fighting Michael Myers off. Jamie Lee Curtis is like acting smarter than other characters fighting back in a way that no one else has been able to. Um, again, I hate to say this, Big Joe Grizzly kind of shits on that narrative in this film because he fights Michael Myers a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. The doctor shooting Michael Myers when he does in the film kind of shits on that narrative too. So, like, we don't give um, Laurie the same chance to be the hero in this film. And I, I'm yeah. not really sure why. Yeah, I think, I mean... I'll just say it's a big mistake to introduce your heroine fucking an hour into the film because are we supposed to really care (laughs) at this point? Because, like, we've just been following Mikey the whole time. Maybe Dr. Loomis, you know? But, like, Lori, it's like, what do we care about her, you know? The original film, okay, like you said, she's one of the few characters we know and we've been following her for a while. So, yeah, okay, I care about her. But this character that comes in, like, an hour later, it's like... Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't care about oh, you. I, I, I didn't <laughs> care either. I really yeah. didn't care um, at any point. Um, to your to your point, I think it's just uh, 
here's the difference. And again, like for anyone that's into filmmaking and stuff like that, let me just break this down for you. I mean, how do you choose to spend your time? If you're calling someone the lead or the hero, for instance, I don't know anything about Michael Myers in the original. To your point just now, I didn't even know that they were related. And, you know, I guess that comes up later, right? So what do I know? I know Lori is, mm-hmm. you know, she's a ba- babysitting and her friends are kind of, you know, assholes to her. But, like, they all like each other enough. And they're kind of trying to help her sort of get out of her sort of Girl Scout kid phase. Mm-hmm. So, like, right. I'm working with this knowledge. Okay, she wants to be more like her friends, but she also knows that she can't quite be as wild as they are, you know? Mm-hmm. So... She I'm, has her wild sides, though. She is smoking a little bit of pot yeah, in the car. A little, bit, a, little, a, little, bit. a little bit of an edge to that, Lori. Yeah, and, and you know, that comes back into play, too, because we know, um, watching the film, that she she fights. <laughs> she fights back, you know? Um, and I just, I don't know. Like, I know some of her motivation, the way they set things up with her, because there's really not a lot of sets in this original film. There's right. You're kind of oscillating between two houses, really, the entire time. And, right. you know, there's there's information that we know as an audience that she doesn't know. And it creates this tension because all this stuff's happening. And it is reasonable enough for her to say, well, Andy's missing because she's hooking up with Paul or this person's right. missing for this reason. So I don't know. It works. And we also get extended time with these other characters that get killed off, too. So having the, uh, the Annie character sort of... Um, I think it's Annie, and forgive me if, if it's not her, but like having her hooking up, um, or excuse me, having her, you know, messing up her clothes for some reason so we can see her boobs probably, uh, getting stuck, <laughs> getting stuck in the, uh, the, the shed and stuff like that. All this stuff builds tension. We care about these characters because we've been introducing right. them, and as they go, it brings more tension to our original character because they're connected. <laughs> see how that works right. right because if these side characters are going and once they're all gone who's left reggie our main character so we are caring when these side characters go even their dicky boyfriends it's just <laughs> i don't know it it's so much better it hurts it hurts <laughs> you know like i i felt genuine suspense in that film during this segment of the film uh, there was a lot of misdirection that I thought was very, very clean. I think right. that uh, that it made Michael Myers feel like this ominous, ever-present sort of being, even though yeah. we kind of know he's just a guy. And that is the strength of this Michael Myers lore, so that when he does sort of disappear uh, later on in the film, it fits this entire narrative of, like, how is this guy doing this? You know, he's cutting the phones. He's locking you in when you least expect it. He's able to just, you know, sneak over here. You can't see him behind the bush. Right. It's scary. He's the boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Sometimes there's just like a shot of like, doc- there's one great shot of Dr. Loomis just like in town, like not knowing, like, where am I going to find Michael? And you actually see Michael's car drive right behind him. Mm-hmm. They don't draw any attention to it with the camera. They don't have any scary music playing. It's just there. You just got to be paying attention or you're going to miss it. And I love so the subtlety good. of that. So I good. love that. It's good. It's good. And like, you know, you can, you can lose where he is in the film. Like, are we seeing him? Are we not? And then the characters are having that moment, having Tommy seeing the boogeyman, having the setup of the boogeyman. And it's way, way better in this original film, too, because Tommy is the one being bullied at school. Again, now we care about Tommy. 
He's getting bullied. Someone told him there's a boogeyman, and there is a boogeyman. He is real, and his name is Michael Myers, and that's all we need to know about Michael. That's all we need to know about these guys. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I really did not keep up with remake deaths at a certain point. I know they were pretty much referential, but even the first death, like, in that original film, the, the going between the house, you've seen the guy outside. Is he going to get her in the house? Is he going to get her in the shed? Is he going to get her... She's back in the house? She's back in the shed? You know, like... Yeah. I, yeah, it just kept you guessing. And, and yeah, my, I was worried for Annie because, you know, she did take her shirt off. So I was I was really you, concerned for her character. Uh, we, we're saying that uh, for anyone in the audience that happens to not know, I doubt you wouldn't know this. There's sort of slasher math. Like, there's certain things that happen in these teen slasher dramas that, like, you go swimming in the lake, right? You take your shirt off. You're, you're like, you're making out with somebody. Any, like, sort of teen romp. <laughs> uh, any sort of showing of... I think hormone-driven thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> possibly. It, and that wasn't on purpose. I read that John Carpenter was like, we didn't mean for, like, the sexually active thing. It's not an anti-sex thing. It's just that they were so distracted by the sex. Right. And that's why Lori was able to get over Michael, because she wasn't distracted with all that stuff. Beautiful. It's great. And and it actually, like, uh, it was genre changing, you know. Um, again, I, I'm, genre defining. Thank exactly genre defining. And again, I'm assuming that just based off of the knowledge of this. Again, I'm not a big horror guy, but like, I do understand the appeal, and I do understand uh, elements of the genre. And like this film, just like like you said, genre defining. Her clothes are off because uh, she. Got, she got some butter. I got <laughs> butter. Better take all my clothes off while that little kid's in the kitchen. This isn't weird at all. Not weird at all. Sure. It's the 70s. I'm gonna Do d- it. <laughs> dump a bunch of Tide in. I'm wearing the, the dad shirt. You know what I mean? It, it's, uh, I know. His wife's got to be like, why does it smell like a woman? I don't know. Don't leave me. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're saying all that to say that, like, this movie gets it. <laughs> and they haven't expended so much time that, like, We've lost the suspense. Because to your point, I was looking at the clock too, and I was running down. And because the deaths at this point are more or less mimicking what we saw in the original, in the remake, mm-hmm. um, we're now past the point where this movie really has its own definition. Uh, w- what the remake has done to define itself has not endeared us. So right. um, I don't know. I would rather just talk about the cool deaths in the original film for a while because they're the same in a remake, more or less. Go on. Okay, we could do that, and then maybe we can just tackle how the, or just discuss how the remake tackles it. Um, so, who's the first death in the original? Because I wrote down, okay, the sister Annie. Annie is the first death, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so Annie, our uh, <laughs> our friend, our good old friend who was babysitting Lindsay, and she drops her off because she wants to go bang Paul. She's still wearing that shirt. Like you said, this is great because you think she's going to get killed when she's going to that separate area to do her laundry because all of a sudden, uh-oh, door's locked. Mm-hmm. She can't get out. And then she's calling for Lindsay. She's like, Lindsay, help me. And you're like, oh, Michael's going to get her there. Yeah. You know it because you've established it. You've seen him standing there just staring at her. So you're like, oh, she is so fucked. But no. They play against your expectations. Totally. And then you're like, okay, she's going out that window. Oh, he's going to be right there waiting for her when she tries to get out that window. Again, no. <laughs> and you're just like, well, maybe she'll live. 
And then, like, the little girl goes out to get her out of there, and you're like, well, she's going to find her dead when she goes out there, right? Mm-hmm. No! <laughs> they have a little moment of comic relief where, like, Annie's like, I'm stuck in the window, help me! And yeah. you're just like, okay, uh, this is this isn't so bad, that's not so scary. And, and, and then you... Annie and Lindsay go back in the house. Absolutely. And not only that, they, she's able to go and meet up with Lori one more time. It's it's great. I love how they play with the my constraint. I, the constraint. Yeah. And using the phones as a part of the horror, because like, there's no precedent that Michael Myers is calling you or anything like that. Like, uh, <laughs> but like I'm sitting there, I was like, was well, he on the line? Like, how, how does it work? Like, I'm sitting right. there and I know this genre, and I'm sitting there asking myself about a movie that came out 42 years ago. How how <laughs> does this work? You know? And um, like you said, the the ability to just pull back in those moments. Yes so smart to have her hanging out the window i'm like oh this like you said all those times i was like this is it in this sequence of annie going through the different places where we will then be scared once more later is incredible and it just it was done so well and it really like like you said it ramps you up and then you're like well i can calm down nothing's right what are we, what are we so worried about <laughs> <laughs> And and they're uh, allowed to do that because they didn't spend the first hour talking about the serial killer psyche because we only spent like 20 minutes mm-hmm. so far and we could stretch out all the killing. We don't we could mess with your expectations because we have time. We're, you're not fatigued from watching the movie so far. You're just you're getting ready for the ride. Yeah. You have, it hasn't even started yet, so we can do whatever we want at this point. As opposed to the remake, where it's like, well, I've seen a lot of fucking deaths already, and if they slow this shit down, I'm really gonna check out. So, right, strength to the original. Right strength, there. strength to the original. And again, like you don't need it. Like I get that it's Rob Zombie style. It doesn't need to be that graphic, to be honest. Yeah, sometimes the imagination is a lot worse mm-hmm. than when you actually see. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was interesting. Um, and I like that it sets them up so that like all of the kids and everyone are now at uh. Lori's house, I like that. Right. It's very obvious that they're basically just right across the street from each other, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, that adds to the tension. We can, you know, talk right. about it. When the boyfriend shows up, you know, I believe... Well, Paul doesn't show up. She's supposed to go to Paul, because after Annie drops off the kids, then she's going to go to Paul. She forgot her keys, so she has to go That's right. get her keys. And then you think, you're thinking, even when she goes back in the house to get her keys, oh, this is when it's going to happen. Yeah. You're just like... At the edge of your seat, like, when is this shit going to happen, man? And then, and then she's finally in the car, yep. and then Michael's in the back seat. He pulls a Chucky, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is way before Chucky. Uh, yeah, then he just chokes her out, man. And then, uh, and then he... And it's, yeah, and, yeah. and it's, uh, even, for, like, for a 70s film especially, like, even, like, her face, is, she's, like, her face is on the window, like, dragging down. It's a really cool, clean shot. Like you said, him coming out of the car, brilliant. You know, the fact that the car is kind of, like, fogged up and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's just really well shot, really well well done. And your point, yeah. So there's the whole Paul element. But as you mentioned, like, we never even really see him again uh, at this point. And we go more or less right back into Lori and the kids. And Tommy's watching, you know, the scary film. He looks outside because he's trying to scare Lindsay. And then he gets scared because he sees Michael Myers. And it's the boogeyman. And, you know. <laughs> you got to believe me. Believe, you know, now I'm yeah. doing Chucky. <laughs> there, yeah, it's totally a Chucky here. And, uh, you know, what's funny about that, too, is that more or less, it's 
and again, another strength. It's the same thing that was happening to Lori earlier. She's seeing stuff. No one's believing her. Mm-hmm. She's right. not believing him. And it, it, <laughs> it's a fun playoff of that that concept. You know, to that point, more or less, like, the next set of teams come along. You'll probably have to help me with the names. I know Linda, but I don't know her boyfriend's name. Okay. I mean, I don't think that really matters. Bob. Okay. Yeah, it is Bob. So, I, I love their sort of setup. They show up. Or, or wait, maybe we could just talk a little bit about the remake? Because it, it is different. It is different. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, maybe we could just talk about the remake, Annie, uh, a little bit here. Actually, I do want to talk about her because the actress, Danielle Harris, is a Halloween alumnus. She's actually was the star of Halloween 4 and 5. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, she played Jamie Lloyd, who was the little, when she was a little child actor. And, uh, yeah, she was the lead in those Halloween movies. So, yeah, that, that's a cool nod that, is. <laughs> that we got in the remake. I, I recognized her, and I was like, she looks so familiar. What do I know her from? It's like, oh, yeah, from Halloween 4 and 5. So that's just really cool to cast her as Annie. Anyways, so she's pretty much the same, I guess. We don't spend as much time with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, her death scene is definitely not as drawn out as it was in the original. This time we actually do see Paul come over right. i think that's and, where my uh, confusion came from earlier actually yeah 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 and then so like her and paul are like on just like getting ready to bang and stuff and yeah she she is topless in this movie we got a lot more nudity in this remake and uh i guess at this point that's like when they're just about to go like michael myers comes in and just like start how, how does he kill paul exactly uh, does he just hit him i'm trying to remember i think, I think, kills so. paul. I think- Aren't they the ones? They're the ones that are on the couch. They're the ones that are on the couch. Yeah. So he just yeah he just kind of like picks Paul up, like you mentioned, hits him. I don't know if there's more stabbing there. I'm trying to remember the exact way that happened. Hold up. Let me look up the Wikipedia. I can figure that out. Or I can check my notes. So I got. I don't have in my notes. I just have now Annie's banging and now they're dead. That's all I have in my notes. Yeah, it's it's not well defined actually. Uh, so, so basically they're killed. Yeah, it's it's like implied, like he basically like they're hooking up on the couch. Mike Myers just kind of like picks him up. I don't know if he like stab, like he throws him for sure. I don't know how the death happens, but like, uh, you know what? You know why we don't remember? It's like implied basically because like she's not wearing a top. She runs outside. Mike Myers drags her back inside, and they close the door, and we don't really know what happens next. Well, you actually, no, <laughs> another fault of this movie, you think it cuts there, but no, it actually does continue inside, and you do see Annie just screaming, running around the house for mm. a bit. Okay. Yeah, that, the remake does that a bit, quite a bit, where you think, oh, okay, we're done with the scene, we're actually going to move on. No, we're, we're still in the scene, uh, we're going to show you a little bit more, and it's like, well, it, I think it would have been better if we just, you know, cut there and went somewhere else, but no, they actually do show Annie running around a bit. And I think she does get stabbed, maybe thrown. Yeah. Ultimately, she, Michael does get her, but she doesn't get killed. Yeah, so and, I think she's she's crawling around a little bit, and I think she actually makes it to the phone in this one? I don't think so. No, she's not. She okay. She's found by Lori. Lori goes over to the house and just finds her, just, like, on the ground. Okay. 
Um, yeah, I know. I know. It's confusing as anything. Anyway, I think the whole point is like her death is different because she doesn't actually die. It's Paul that dies. Paul gets killed and Annie's just, I don't know, beaten, stabbed, whatever, but she's not dead. She's actually found by her father. Right. The and we don't see what happens. Uh, side note on the, her dad. Yeah, her dad's played by Brad Dorf. You know who Brad Dorf is? It's voice of Chucky, dude. Oh, damn. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got Chucky in this movie. That's so awesome. That's, a co- that's cool. Doesn't make a great movie, but it's just a really cool little thing to have in your movie. Um, so, yeah, her, she's ultimately found by her dad, and that's kind of the last we see of Annie and the sheriff yeah. in the remake. Uh, yeah. So, so, I just wanted to point out that she lives and Paul dies. Yeah. Um, I also want to point out, sorry, since we are talking about the sheriff, very quickly here, um, the sheriff played by Charles Cyphers in the original film, I know why he doesn't believe the doctor, right? Like, there's not really, at this point, as far as they know, more or less, Michael Myers hasn't really, like, killed anybody, uh, and they don't know where he is, right? So, hey, doc, I'm not going to sit out here all day playing, you know, games with you. In the remake, the fact that no one has indicated that, like, eight to ten people (laughs) were brutally murdered, like, I I don't understand why this isn't just the news at this point. Why, like, there's, like, an army or something, like, after on a manhunt for this guy who just murdered all these people and is on the loose? Right. I don't know, like, the scope in the original film makes sense to me. And, like, the sheriff mm-hmm. not believing him makes sense to me because basically all he has is, yeah, some kid that, you know, did something horrific a couple years ago. But it wasn't, like, <laughs> the story of the t- – I mean, it was, but, like, it wasn't – you don't see journalists and stuff like that. You don't hear about the trial. When he gets out, like, people are very skeptical that he could have made it that far. It's very apparent. In this remake, regardless of where he is, I think that it behooves this uh, this place to let everyone know where it is. Otherwise, I think they're basically implying that this is a cover-up, right? Like, kind of? Because, like, basically they're like, well, if you tell, it's going to be on you because you should have told us we should have had better security. Well, I'm going to tell that you guys did <laughs> let the guy... Like, it's so stupid. But, um, again, I find it weird and different that, like, in this instance, like you mentioned, Annie is ultimately discovered still alive by her father in this film. We don't really have that equivalent scenage in the uh the first film so i'm I, I just it's a minor note for me right here but like it's just such a mental ask f- for them to have me think that they're not putting more effort into finding him fair enough you want to get into the next death let's do it all right the next death in the original is of course linda and her boyfriend now this is a fun death scene this is a very memorable death scene it really is so the two of them, I think they're at the Lindsay's house. Yeah, they go- the street. they're across the street from Laurie right now. Yep. Yeah, and they're there, and they're young with their hormones, so they do what they do. I love the way they uh, they come out of the van. They're drinking beers in the van, and then like you hear the beer cans falling on the ground. I just want to say that I love that shot and the setup to this entire scene. <laughs> so they. They're trying to actually scare Annie and Lindsay, and then they come up with some like pretty sketchy stuff too. Like it's like, man, you really want to fuck with your friend and that little girl. But they're not there, so they're just like, well, they're not here. We might as well bang. All right, let's bang. So that's what they do. And then uh, after they're done, 
she's like, go get me a beer. And he's like, all right, I'll go get you a beer, Buttermaker. <laughs> Let's call back to our uh, Bad News Bears. Hey, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so he go gets a beer. And why don't you know who is down there? Good old Michael Myers. And showing that superior strength he has, yes. just lifts him up with one hand yep. by the neck and then proceeds to stab him so hard that he's able to take his hands off and he's still clinging to it, the wall with just by one knife. It's... Um, dubious but effective yeah i mean you're just like it just builds around that like mystery like wow this guy's really strong how'd he get so strong i don't know it's crazy but you're you're kind of buying into it because like i don't really know what's happening but okay (laughs) sure yeah this is is some crazy shit man (laughs) it's just such a uh, a simple choice that then has allowed this entire universe to come out of this pretty rudimentary character if you look at it on its surface, which is, all right, why is this guy so strong? You know, um, mm-hmm. yeah. how does it work? And, like, that one death scene is so effective at showing you his strength that it allows you to then later believe that if he were to get shot that he could survive. Right. It, right. Perfect. Brilliant. And then it, the transition where he comes upstairs in the, mm-hmm. the ghost outfit. He's wearing a sheet with the eyes cut out. No, and, no. He's wearing a sheet with the guy's glasses over it <laughs> oh yeah the glasses there too it's great it's he, he has a taste for theatricality as Ra's al Ghul would say to batman so he goes into the mess room and then like linda's like where's my beer and she's kind of staring she's like oh, that's funny and then she's like after a few seconds she starts to freak out and then no no she doesn't freak out i think she's calls Lori at that point and then, yeah, she calls Lori, and he's just standing there. She's like, I'm fucking done with you. And I just go call Lori, calls Lori, and then as she's calling Lori, um, Michael proceeds to strangle her with the telephone right. cord. And Lori's on the other end going, ha, 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 stop making your sex noises at me, whatever. And so, you know, we're kind of getting that because they have been teasing her sure. throughout the whole film about, like, you know, you don't have a man, when, when are you going to bang and stuff like that? So it makes sense that Lori would just think she's being pranked. So, yeah, it's a believable death. And, uh, yeah, pretty good. And it's actually replicated pretty strongly in the remake. I, I would say that this is uh, this is when the remake, remake gets right. I think they just, you know, they stuck to the script, <laughs> more or less. <laughs> this is like a subtle change. I think he actually does hand the beer in this remake versus the original. But uh, Yeah, uh, I thought that was a weird th- choice because, like, Michael actually got her a beer uh, it was like that was such a weird decision I, I don't know i just feel like if you're a serial killer and you're out it's like okay maybe the ghost thing's a little i could it's a little much but i'll buy it but like you actually got her a beer too it's like what are you waiting for like we've seen you motherfucker we know how crazy mm-hmm. and bloodthirsty you are you're gonna fucking play with her and get her this beer it, it didn't make sense you yeah. know, from the guy I saw earlier at the hospital is what I'm saying. No, I agree. I agree. So it's another one of those choices where it's like, okay, they made it, but like, how does it help them? I, I'm not sure that it does. And I guess you get a little bit more of a freak out from her in the remake than you do in the original. But uh, uh, like you mentioned, in both films, this is actually, uh, I will agree, this is a strong scene, obviously for the original because it did it first, but for the remake, for actually picking a decent spot to stick to the the script more or less yeah so he pretty much kills uh bob the same way lifts him up stabs him 
Bob's just still like stabbed against the wall. And uh, it was weird though, because it wasn't so obvious that Linda was killed. He did choke her and she did pass out, but I wasn't sure she was dead right away, which was weird because, and then he's also seen like carrying her body. Yeah. So I didn't know what was happening at that point, but later I, we find out that she is dead, but it yeah. wasn't as obvious as it was in the original think, film. And I don't know why they did that because they kind of did the same thing with Annie later uh, where he would carry her unconscious body. So I was just like, is he just gathering her friends unconscious to do something? It was... It was making me ask questions when I really shouldn't have been. Yeah, definitely. And I think ultimately it was to sort of replicate this, that strong scene you see uh, in the original film where, like, you have, uh, I believe it's, you have Annie's who uh, gets killed and they have Judith Meyers' um, tombstone on the bed, this sort of, like, ritual killing sequence. And I guess in the remake that was to show that he was moving them to do that type of stuff. We do get to see, it's kind of flipped in this film, I believe it's Linda's body uh, that's yeah. in the basement because she's actually dead, obviously. I don't know, even that fell flat to me. Like, I don't know, the scene felt stronger in the original film, I guess. Because it doesn't make sense. Why Why would he do this again? Because we had seen him kill all these people in the hospital. I just By showing us so much in the beginning of the film, it's so tame in the later half yeah. that it, it doesn't... It, it's, a, it's not in character. Yeah. And, you know, part of it, too, is that, like, Given the fact that, like, in this remake as well, we kind of already know that they're related. Like, him going through the ritual thing, like, it, yeah. it, there's no mystery there. Like, you know, yeah. it, it, like you mentioned, it doesn't make sense. We all kind of know what the game is at this point. So you're basically just recreating a shot. And although we praise them for doing that with this uh, Linda death, I've got to knock them here because it just didn't feel as strong in the remake. I don't know, just... Some strange choices throughout that, you know, we've talked about, but, you know, those are sort of our kind of main deaths, and I'm glad we, we were able to, to get through them. Well, again, it doesn't feel, like, as strong in the remake because you barely spend any time with Lindsay. That's, that's because really Because cool. you're introduced to her at the first after the first hour, and then you see her maybe one more time after that, and then you just see her with her boyfriend. So it's not really a character yeah. that you care and, about. So. And because we don't have a lot of, Michael Myers' backstory in the original, the fact that he did this gives us some kind of insight into what his mentality could be. It's, you know, it's a strange thing that's happening, but like, okay, maybe he's got this whole thing in his head about teenage girls and his sister and stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we don't really know much about him, so you're able to kind of make an inference, whereas in the remake, you know, too, like you mentioned, too much about him, way too much. So those are all the deaths in the original Mm -hmm. The only other, I guess, supposed to death was kind of Michael Myers, but he does ultimately get away. Maybe we can just get into kind of the ending sure. for the movies. So in the original, Lori is, just goes mano a mano with Michael. You know, she gets she gets stabbed a couple times. She gets thrown down the stairs. Mm -hmm. Very physical altercation with Michael. Ultimately, she... <laughs> she gets locked in a closet and kind of stabs him in the eye with a hanger. That part was weird. Like I, appreci <laughs> I appreciated sort of the way the fight started. Like they're, uh, right. you know, she realizes her friends have been murdered. She's downstairs. She pulls a, again, another unconventional weapon. She pulls like the needle from, uh, 
nip, yeah, the nip one pearl two thing, you know. So yeah. and stabs right in the neck and like to your outside viewer, especially the way we've seen this film because the film isn't as graphic actually. So like I could buy that that stabbing was a death because it doesn't take a lot to kill people throughout the film. So it's like okay, he stabbed him, he's on the ground, cool. Mm-hmm. She tells the kids to lock themselves upstairs, and it's like, okay, you know, maybe maybe this is it. But the guy gets back up, obviously. And to your point, the hanger, her untwisting the hanger and stabbing him in the eye, it's it's dubious. <laughs> a little weak, but... Uh, a little I, weak, yeah. I do appreciate that, like, that gives us a moment to kind of, like, see his face, too, later with the eye and everything. Like, yeah, look, as strange of a weapon as it is, at least she's fighting back with the uh, caveat as well that we care about her at this point. And we care about those kids a lot, you know. So, it's well done. Yeah. So, she thinks Michael's dead. It's a, it's a great shot, too. Because, like, you know, she's kind of, like, catching her breath, trying to <laughs> process everything that's happened. And then just a subtle, you know, he's Michael just subtly rises up from the laying position. And then the, the little bit of, like, piano music, dun-dun, dun-dun. <laughs> it's great how it just builds up the suspense there. And then it's not over. I'm gonna kill you, Laurie. But no, you're not because Doctor Loomis is here with a is he crack shot. So he just shoots uh, Michael a bunch of times. Michael flies out the window. You know, you think it's over. Yeah, he's and down on the ground. Up. You see him. Yeah, you see him. He's dead, right? No, because they look out the window again, and his body's gone. Mm-hmm. And I, that's how the first movie ends. Part of the reason I was trying to defend Mal- Malcolm McDowell's uh, Doctor Loomis is because this Doctor Loomis is. A very weak character in the uh, the original film. Um, you know, he helps with some exposition, but other than that, he's not great. He kind of stands around scaring kids and then, like, not <laughs> not knowing where Mike Myers is, and he's being undermined by the sheriff. But uh, you know, in this in this moment, he uh, he steps his game up. He gets the shot off, and the fact that they kind of allow him to escape again, sort of, it's a my bad moment for him. <laughs> but uh, but he does save Lori, so yes, good on him for that. Yes. And the good thing, too, is that he saved Laurie in a way that we get to strengthen both of these characters because Laurie just got done. She stabbed him, stabbed him again, stabbed him again. You know what I mean? Like, she she did everything that she needed to do to be, like, the heroine of the film and got that last little bit of push because this is the boogeyman. So, yeah, someone had to come in with a gun, and even that wasn't enough. So, um, great, great ending, and... It's awesome that they were able to launch this very straightforward, because I, I will admit this, this is a very straightforward story, but it was done so well and with such suspense that they were able to launch an entire franchise as we're literally talking about the remake. Yeah. And just talk about success. I think it cost like 300000 to make and it made like $40 million. So it's like, boom. Perfect. Very nice. Nicely done, John Carpenter. And then we have the ending in the remake so Lori is kind of going one-on-one against Michael. I better break out my notes here because it's, a, it's, a, it's just drawn out <laughs> compared to the original. It really um, is. Because oh, cause it's an interesting note that in the original film, Lori and Michael actually don't like go head-to-head until like the last 20 minutes, which is maybe last 15 minutes even, which is pretty bold choice too to have your kind of your hero and your villain not really meet until the very end of the movie but you know it does work because we're not doing kind of the same shit over and over again because the michael laurie fight is just going to be contained to the end not really 
spread out in different sections. It is a little more spread out in the remake. <laughs> it's, it's very spread out and it's multifaceted. As we mentioned in the original, yeah. there's like two sets, you know? Um, yeah. Which is not a negative in this, in this case. It's actually a strong positive, you know? That mm-hmm. you really only have to focus in on two locations. I, I guess we're back in the haunted kind of house, as it were. Um, well, his original. I was gonna, I was gonna start before there, cause like, sure. um, at the house where she's babysitting, or did, no, cause she does go across the street in the remake too, right? Cause and then she kind of confronts Michael there, and then she does have to run back, and Tommy has to let her in. Tommy has to let her no, in. No, cause she, no, she goes to take Laura, uh, Lindsay home right right that's where it starts okay. right she goes to take Lindsay home and then she has to basically send Lindsay running <laughs> right to go get help mm-hmm. and then she i guess she has a little confrontation with michael there i don't he, fully remember all the details of that i don't, I don't know if she, i think she's inside at some point i think they try to kind of replicate the stairs thing you know a little bit i, I again i don't really recall but like she gets banged up a little bit, but not, you know, enough to that she can get away. Yeah, so she gets away, and then she gets into, back to Tommy's house, and he lets her in, and then so it's her, Tommy, Lindsay, and then Michael's just like, oh, I'm coming anyway. So, like, they hide upstairs. The cops arrive. Yes. The cops arrive. They get, There's no Michael when the cops arrive. So they're just like, just just open the door, man. Just just open the door. I don't know if I should open the door. It's just a long, drawn-out thing. And it's just like taking way too the long. The cop and then, gets like, stabbed. Yeah, right when she's about to open the door. Again, we've seen Michael just be so brutal. I don't understand like yeah. the hiding and like I'm going to take my time. and it's Just just kill, man. You're, you're a killer. You've established this. Just go. Don't. Why are we playing around here? Anyway, so that cop gets stabbed. I think the other cop gets stabbed too. Yeah, probably. I think he gets a shot off versus which, the reason they were able to kind of escape the bathroom. There you go. Yeah. So they escape, and then she sends the two kids off or something. something. But Michael gets her. It's all very confusing. He, it's... he gets her, doesn't kill her, mm-hmm. right? So now we're, we're she wakes up or whatever in this basement thing, right? And we get, like we mentioned uh, in this case, right. uh, and we get Linda basically reenacting our sort of, uh, our Meyer sister tombstone mm-hmm. thing. They're in some random weird basement area of the creepy house that he grew up in. And, right. and now this is where it gets a little weird. Oh, now, does help it? me out here, Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's all, it almost seems like Michael just wants to be with his sister he doesn't necessarily want to kill her because he does take his mask off right and he he has that picture of him and his sister when they when they were both little kids and he kind of shows it to her and then she's like the whole time she has her eyes on this knife that's in the dirt and she's kind of inching forward to just get that Mm -hmm. and i don't understand michael's motivation here is he just trying to be reunited with his little sister or does he want to kill her i think that it's it's an internal fight for him because I think when he has the mask on he's you know he's right. this ruthless killer but there's this bit of the ten year old the last bit of this ten year old that's in him that says mm-hmm. all right here's a photo of me and you you know this is us right. from back in the day this is me without my mask kind of don't you remember whatever 
she doesn't give a shit because one, she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't know who he is, and she says, "She's like, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. Um, I like, I don't, I don't get it. We don't get it as the audience." Uh, yeah. uh, I like, didn't get it because I had to ask you. <laughs> like you mentioned, he takes the mask off, and I think that for this moment, this is the one moment where, like, maybe he was able to win that internal fight with himself, and for a moment, not be just this ridiculous murderous uh villain and that is short-lived because like you mentioned she does grab that knife rightfully so stabs him and then in a overlong ridiculous scene has to break through so many different random barriers to escape this guy that it just it starts to hurt my head because first she's down in the basement now she's got to get out of the the fence area she's got to get out of the She's got to pull the boards off to get yeah. out of this area. And now he's chasing her, and he's breaking his hand through the board. And now she's got to, like I mentioned, break the chain link fence. Now she's out of the fence. And now, you know, and then she's There's out. also a point when Loomis shows up, too. Yeah, And yeah. shoots him. The, no, yeah. So I think Loomis might actually show up, shoot him. So Then they get in so, the car. Yes. Let, and so, then, yeah. so just to help, help you out through this, because I do remember this a little bit better. Basement, right? Hey, Mike, I don't want to hurt you. We could be friends. I get it. I, I want to help you. Stab, right? right? Break okay. through that one area. Mike Myers throws his mask back on, tries to, tries to catch her, but he has to, like, break down the boards, too. She gets out of the fence, okay, fence, whatever, somehow gets out of the house eventually, and now she foolishly falls, and she lands more or less in the pool. So she's in an empty pool with no way out. Right. Mike Myers right. has her cornered. And that's when Loomis shows up out of fucking nowhere with a 357, which we learned in a previous scene. What do you want to just like nick the guy? <laughs> Use one of these? Oh, or you want to put him down? Another scene that could have been cut. <laughs> that scene did not need to be there. Like in the original film, he just had a gun. Yeah. He just and has a gun. I was fine gun. with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what are we trying to say about Loomis? That he wouldn't have a gun? It was like, I don't know. Like maybe because he's been dealing with psychopaths his whole life, he just has a gun. Why does he have to go buy one? Why does he have to be in a small town? And we gotta go through a background check. Like, I, I stop it. <laughs> so, he's got this 357, which, by the way, the guy in the gun store is right. It makes it even harder to believe that Mike Myers survives this because that is a serious piece of equipment, and he shoots him way more than in the original film. So, okay, so he shoots, he shoots him. Mike Myers falls down in the pool filled with leaves and not water. She gets out. She's hysterical. He put Loomis puts his uh his jacket on her. He's like, oh, it's okay now. We've done it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> For some reason, he's driving a cop car, right? Like, go figure right. that. Go figure that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we didn't get a backstory for that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you know, they both get in the cop car. He's, you know, like, oh, it's okay now. Mike Myers shows up out of nowhere, breaks the window, starts trying to pull her out of the car. Um, maybe a callback to the original. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember what happens to Loomis here. Uh, Loomis eventually, well, he goes to chase Laurie, but then Loomis tries to stop him, but then he just like grabs Loomis's head and starts squeezing. Oh, uh, that's right, that's right. He like, and then he's like, it's like, is he dead? And he's like, I don't know. He just drops that's him. right. So while while this is happening, her idea is to run inside the house, back in the house, right in the house. <laughs> great, great plan in the house. Um, to hide in the attic thing? In the crawl space, sure. Oh, fucking A, dude. 
Yeah, she's not in the attic. Like, she's not even in the attic yet. You're right. She's in this tiny, tiny crawl space. She's got to cover her mouth because she's screaming and she's scared. And Loomis is being blinded in what I'm sure is some allegory that's all Greek or Roman or something like that. He's blinded. You know, and oh my God, this is so dumb. Uh, yeah. So, so. I don't remember, but she's eventually crawling in yeah, the attic you, you and he's get, ripping up the walls. Yeah, you get the scene sort of where she's in the thing and like where you would have had uh, uh, the, the hanger through the eye. She just kind of slips away and he's like, where do you go? And she hides in the attic and then for some reason, and it's this is shot very strangely as well. He takes like a two by four or whatever and starts slamming the fucking <laughs> the uh, the attic that she's now hiding in in a, another crawl space. Oh my god, uh, dude! It just it just reminded me of Ninja Turtles two when Shredder's destroying the deck and then everything's yeah, just collapsing around. <laughs> You're gonna kill us all, Shredder! I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, that, I, I thought I'm about glad that you movie did because that's more that fun scene. to think about that. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. So, so he he eventually is able to destroy enough of the ceiling, and she does fall through, right. hurts herself pretty badly. But then Loomis, blinded by the way, grabs him with his last energy, grabs him by the leg, and he's like, "Get off my leg!" <laughs> <laughs> and then Loomis relents. <laughs> he's like, yeah. "Okay, I guess I am pretty old and weak." <laughs> yes. He gives up the ghost, and he doesn't even have a monologue, so that's good. Also, by the way, <laughs> we did not get a chance to talk about Loomis's book, the. Uh, the devil behind the eyes. <laughs> um, it's okay. We don't I don't have think we have time, okay. unlike this movie. Uh, um, then she, like, stands on the balcony, mm-hmm. right? And then he, like, yeah. just, like, bum rushes her, and they yeah. both fall off the balcony. And yeah. she's, she has the gun again, and she goes to shoot him. And just at the last moment, he kind of moves her wrist as she goes to shoot him. And then she screams, and then for some terrible director bullshit uh this is all in the director the screams are juxtapositioned with her as a baby screaming juxtapositioned with like home video of like 10 year old michael myers doing freaky weird shit and the uh the john carpenter classic score is playing over the top as we get these disturbing images of uh of mike myers as a kid it's all very ham-fisted it's not very well done it's two on the nose. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I just want to add a little <laughs> thing to that, too. After he bum rushes her out the window, it does cut to black. And then all of a sudden, Laurie wakes up. Now, I know you're not a seasoned veteran of these Halloween movies, but Mikey Myers likes to uh, switch his bodies with other people occasionally. So I'm thinking That's she comes too. That's not even his body. That might have been Loomis, yeah. I, I believe that. I believe that. Um, because there is a Halloween too, I haven't seen it, but um, I'm gonna assume that that wasn't Michael because she does get the shot off, and I don't think it's Michael she kills. Yeah, th- that makes sense, and I had a feeling of that as well when I was watching it. I mean, I was like, uh, this feels like kind of like an old switcheroo again, kind of talking yeah. about Manhunter again. Uh, doesn't really matter because like you just hear the cop cars in the background. Yeah, her screams. It doesn't. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter because the fucking movie's finally over. Finally. <laughs> Mercifully, the movie's over. But it's not really over because now i got to watch this fucking random footage of this. Oh, no, I didn't watch it. I, I was, kids. like, fast-forwarding. I'm like, unless there's anything else, I'm not going to actually sit and watch this footage. The bones were there, man. And you know what? 
the theatrical cut actually sounds more interesting, which can be the case when it comes to your director's cuts. Um, when you think about it, a lot of times editing is important. And in, in, in fact, in general, I would rather get a cut, like edit, less is more than to have a director go off on the tangent that they kind of want to. Usually someone's got to pull you back. We're a little too precious with our own projects. Like, I'm like this myself as an artist. I've done things where I'm like, oh, I got to like add more and I got to do more and it actually hurts the product. Mm -hmm. So um, less is more. And unfortunately, less in the theatrical cut is only 10 minutes less. So I don't know how helpful that is, but I'm sure it's <laughs> somewhat helpful. Um, was that your synopsis? <laughs> Reggie? Was, that your, was that your verdict right there? No, we didn't get to that part yet. I think we should, because I think, honestly think we've said all there is to say about this Halloween remake, unless there's anything you think we missed. No, I mean, the only thing I can say, I think, John, John Carpenter's score is fantastic. Uh, I do appreciate in the remake that they use uh, of the time music. I'm sure they had the budget for it, so good for them. Um, I like the, like the scene where uh, I, I believe it's uh, Linda is playing the music. In the headphones, I thought that was a really... Well, actually, no, it's originally his sister. His sister, in the beginning, playing Blue Oyster Don't Cold. Don't Fear the Reaper. Yeah. yeah. Great scene. There are some good scenes in this remake, uh, interspersed throughout a lot of questionable scenes. But uh, I wanted to say that the music, in the original especially, is very good. But in the remake, they do a good job. So, whatever. I thought it was okay. I mean, you, that John Carpenter score, obviously, is a big part of that original film. And uh, just... Hearing it again after not seeing it for so long, so it, it took me back, and I loved every minute of hearing that score. And it's it's incredibly on, it's perfectly unsettling. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a great backdrop to Halloween, and yeah. John Carpenter really nailed the, I, I, the, the composition of that. I didn't want to subject my uh, my wife to uh, the Halloween movie, so like I watched the film up here, and like as I was done, like I had it on my phone actually, um, as I was done I started walking downstairs and it was playing the Halloween music and she's like, what is that creepy ass <laughs> And I was like, oh no, it's Halloween. But like, that's how good that score is. I'm just walking it's around so my good. house and I'm scaring people. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So all right, good. I think I think we've said all there is yeah. to say, Reggie. I mean, let's, let's I don't think this is gonna come a surprise to anybody who's been listening this whole time, but let's just do it just because it is yeah. tradition. Reggie, should the remake of Halloween exist? Let me start by saying the original movie is a goddamn masterpiece. It's so well done. Like I said, 42 years of the day, I watched it with 2020 with eyes, and I said, this is, this is great. Like, everything about it, there's some cheesy stuff, but like that's, I, I just throw that in slasher camp territory. And because this film basically invented <laughs> that genre as we know it in film, then you know what perfect and honestly i think it still does i still think it does it better than most films that try to do this stuff it's just a good good movie that being said the remake is a bad bad movie it's a very bad movie uh i was interested for about the first 15 minutes um and i was like okay this is compelling and it, it did it was unsettling but that unsettling feeling never relented mm -hmm. um and it wasn't the fun unsettling. Like, in, in the original film, the suspense, you know, yeah, I'm scared, but, like, uh, there's enough levity there and, like, little moments, and 
it's grounded and I do care about the characters. In this remake, we spend so much time with Malcolm McDowell eating up scenery. This little kid, you know, again, eating up scenery. Danny Trejo not really getting a chance to play into the film the way that he should. Uh, pacing issues all abound. Stylistic choices that are very bad choices. The escape scene, I know we talked about it before, but I'm going to talk about it again. That is the worst. I, I mean, I've seen some bad movies. And I, this isn't even, to an extent, there are elements of this that are not a bad movie. This is by far maybe one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in a movie because it's egregious. It's it's overlong. It, it, no one's a hero when it's done. I question the director's uh, filmmaking choices, and it makes me question the entire remaining of this movie. I'm only halfway through the movie at this point. I got to continue to watch this garbage. And the only redeeming qualities are they kind of start doing the Halloween deaths again, but it doesn't work because I don't care about the characters because you made the characters a little bit different. And also I don't get enough time with him. So I spent a long time with a villain that has no arc. So why do I care what happens to him? It's a bad, bad fucking movie that did really well. And I'm sure this is for somebody. It is not for me. I do not like this movie. Yeah, it shouldn't exist. I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking obvious. It's, it's two fucking different films. You have the Michael Myers prequel, or should I say Anakin Myers, because <laughs> I don't give a fuck about young Michael Myers. Why did we spend so much fucking time with him? It's, like you said, there's no arc. We don't learn anything new in the whole fucking first hour with him. Why are we spending so much time with him? To learn why he's a vicious killer. I, I, I didn't learn why he's a vicious killer. Oh, we'll learn the origin of the masks. Really did it. He's making masks, but he's not even fucking wearing the mask that he spent 20 years making. So why are we focusing so much fucking time on this fucking kid? I don't fucking care, man. It, it made me so angry. I was checking the clock constantly in that first hour. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. This was a terrible decision. Like, I'm glad you told me it was a director's cut, because, like, I'm sure if anybody who's, like, with the studio was like, you can't. You can't have this go on this long. This is way too fucking boring. And it was. So good on the studio. Yes. I'm going to be on the side of the For studio once. this time. Yeah. Um, and then when we actually get to Halloween, yeah, I don't care about the characters anymore. Because you made me watch this other movie for the first half. So what do I care about the second half? You're doing stuff that has already been done before. It's, it's bizarre because you tried to chart this new territory... But then you stuck to the formula to a T almost when it comes to the second half. And they don't go together. No. I'm sorry. They, they just don't. So uh, you got two separate films. Maybe if it was like the prequel movie and then you did the Halloween movie, maybe it'll work yeah, that Halloween way. Rising? Halloween Rising? Halloween <laughs> Rising. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it definitely didn't work uh, in the way I saw it. This, I suppose, it ultimate cut, director's cut, whatever it is. And I just... I, especially compared to that original film it does not work so no this absolutely should not exist definitely one of the worst remakes um we've seen probably since that. the producers i'd say it's up there i was just getting frustrated it's a half hour no it's 40 minutes longer than the original right. film i think is. the original film's like 80 minutes no it what a terrible terrible film do not watch this yeah movie. Uh, i did want to make that caveat i'm glad you brought it up i want to make a special category for this movie of shit not to watch. It's just not, it's so bad. And it doesn't have to be. It no. doesn't have to be. You've got a decent cast. 
it's filmed well in spots, like in terms of like visually and stuff like that. I think uh, Rob Zombie gets how to do gore, but like mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems like he just got to do whatever he wanted here, and um, he made. It seems like he made a movie for himself and not for audiences. I think in 2007 we would just like we would shovel any shit down our throats. Honestly, it just like I'm surprised this movie did as well as it did. Um, I think it's just literally because it's riding on the fact that the Halloween franchise is such a name that the fact that this was the first Halloween film in like 10 years, he probably got away with this. But like, I, I just thought that it was such a bad idea mm-hmm. to film this film the way that he did. The, anything that was interesting in the first half, fine. But again, you don't attach it to this movie. Like, the story is so simple. We don't need the origins because we've already done sequels. We've done this five times at this point. What more do you have to say? You don't have more to say, so don't say it. Don't say it. You did it in the first 10 minutes. Like, whatever you had to say about that kid, that was great. I'll I'll give the movie that. The first 10 minutes, I was like, I didn't like it because it made me uncomfortable, but I like that it made me uncomfortable. It was like, this is an uncomfortable situation. I get why this kid's like that. And then you just fucked with it by letting Malcolm McDowell go off. He's better in Tank Girl. He's better in the movie Tank Girl. It's so bad and overdone. Like, why did they do this? No, it's... The first hour just really kills it. It's it's, Nothing happens. But the second hour was so bad, too. I mean, yeah. (laughs) The second hour might be worse, man. This movie gets no... No, no credit other than like you kind of nailed some of the uh, some of the shots from the original film. The original film, it, oh my god, I'll watch the original film three times in a day before you make me watch another half hour of the of this other movie. Yeah, it was. I mean, I feel like I've said everything I could say about I, it, but yeah. it was it was it, it was nothing really enjoyable about it. Yeah. When I'm checking the clock constantly, <laughs> that's yeah. a bad sign. I I mean, so, I was I was clock watching. 30 minutes in. I just watched. I was clock watching 15 minutes in. After he killed the kid, I was like, all right, how much longer is this uh, little Mikey Myers going to go on for? Especially, dude, like, after he kills the family, do we really need all that shit in the institution that he's in? Yeah. No. No. None of it we don't need. You could have, if, if you cut that to just all of a sudden we're in that small, or, yeah, just go to the you small could, town. Fuck the escape, too. I don't could, need to know how he escaped. You could stop after he made the first rudimentary mask, have it cut to him escaping, and it's infinitely a better movie. Infinitely a better movie. It's just, the deaths were so much more gruesome in the first half that it's like... You take a step back by being so true to the original source material. It's like, he's not... I know what he's capable of. This is like fucking kindergarten shit compared to what he did in the first half. I I think what happened... Honestly, I think what happened is that the studio, like, got to him and was like, wait, wait, what's... Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? I I bet in his mind this this was probably even more horrific. Because, I mean, if he was willing to do that scene uh, in the escape, I don't even want to know what he tried to do with... The kids that we kind of already know from the remake. He probably had something scoped out that was just like, bro, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's going on in your head. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> look, if you if you want this check, you will get back on task. That's what it feels like because they are absolutely 
two separate films shoehorned together. And um, they're two bad films shoehorned together. It's a problem. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I mean, I'm fucking, I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I'm done with this. I don't want to spend any more time with it. It's a bad movie. Should not have been made. Mm-hmm. Done. Done. Um, uh, I know this is the part where we pick the next movie we watch, so let's, right. <laughs> let's do that. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do the obligatory, you know, if you, if you liked it, you know, we'll, we'll talk, uh, audience. If you enjoy this, please tell me why. I, 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 like, I, I do respect a slasher. I do respect over-the-top gore. And I understand that for many people that's, like, an enjoyable genre. Um, I, I think that they jumped the shark in that escape scene, and I could not get back on board with the film. And honestly, they jumped the shark well before then, but that was like, that was too much. Uh, you got any suggestions for the next episode? Unfortunately, not yet. Just because I think we're going to actually have fun with this. This is a little extensive, but I, just to cleanse the palate, Dan, why don't we do The Departed? Okay. Departed <laughs> like, Internal Affairs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Infernal Affairs in The Departed. Let's cleanse the palate. Thank you all for sitting through the Hollywood <laughs> remake uh, with us. So, you know what? Let's let's give you something interesting to talk about. Uh, you can hear me and Dan do bad Boston accents for <laughs> an episode. Oh. All right. so, so, yeah, look, I, I, I needed to hit the ripcord, do something safe. You know, like I mentioned, I still envision a world where we do Scarface one day, but it's not that day just yet. <laughs> That's um, all right. But uh, yeah, Infernal Affairs, a, uh, a Chinese film, um, and uh, The Departed, a Boston film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's Yay. the next episode, I think. All right. I'm totally down with that. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> I guess, you know, let us know what you thought in the comments. Absolutely. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Any diehard Rob Zombie fans want to rip us into Yeah, feel free to rip into us. Yeah, yeah. Tell us Absolutely. why we missed the point. Like, I'm sure we missed something that you know. Yeah. It's funny, because I remember when it came out, used to have a Rolling Stone subscription. I think it got, like, three and a half stars. It did. It's, like, on, very, it's on a four-star Very system. well. Um, um, I know it made a lot of money. I just checked the Rotten Tomatoes, though. It's, like, a 26%. Right. So it didn't do well with a lot of critics. But some critics gave it high praise. And I didn't... There was no Rotten Tomatoes when it came out. Or at least I didn't check it back then. So when I saw it, it was, like, like a three and a half in Rolling Stone. I was like, whoa, yeah. this is going to be good. So my expectations were maybe a little bit higher than they should have been, but I think even with high expectations, it's still a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. It, it's just... there. I mean, I could run a class... I think I could do a semester on things not to do based off of this film. Like, I, I really do think that we could... I don't want to take us into this territory anymore, but like, I could probably do this for another 10 hours and tell you why you shouldn't make this movie. But you know what? Look, uh, some people... Like I said, s- some people get it. The movie did really well. It, like you mentioned, it was hovering around that three and a half stars, like that 60 to 70% range when it came out. I think, to your point with Rotten Tomatoes, I think people recognize what we ultimately have as a film. And, um, you know, if you disagree, please, I, I would love to get flamed on this and have to defend my position. Uh, this is a hill I will die on. <laughs> this film sucks. <laughs> this, this particular film is a hill that I will also die on. And, uh, you know, but we do hope you keep coming back for the Departed. Hey. <laughs> oh, the Departed is going to be a fun one. I'm really excited about this one. All right. 
Well, thanks for listening. We are Retro versus Remake. You can find us on all the social medias at Retro versus Remake. If you're on YouTube, definitely leave us a comment. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a five-star review or a comment that will help us grow the channel or the series. Yes. I'm Reggie Parker. You can find me at RP Comedy on Twitter and Instagram. And throwing it to... To me, Dan. All right. Thanks again, guys. This has been another episode of Retro, Retro versus, versus Remake. Remake. All right. Man. I, I fucking hated that movie. <laughs>